This week on Invasion of the Podcast, the year Carpenter takes an odd turn. What do you get when you mix a director uh, looking to make a lighthearted sci-fi romantic comedy with a comedic actor wanting to make a more serious, grounded film? 1992's Memoirs of a Visible Man. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a reasonable guy, but I've just experienced some very unreasonable things. I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face. The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. It's the invasion of the podcast. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Okay. Show me. I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. The Year of Carpenter. Why don't we just wait here for a little while, see what happens. And welcome to Invasion the Podcast, where we try to take over the world one listener at a time. My name is Paul, clearest uh, soup cube, Stedman, and then somewhere out there, Partially visible, but partially not, is Steve Invisible Dong King. I could be naked. You wouldn't know. It's true. It's true. You could be, you could, you could just be invisible to yourself right now because we're recording this as an audio podcast, right? So, so yeah, everybody, welcome to the show. Um, this is, uh, we're going to be talking about memoirs of a visible man. Um, it, it's, uh, there, there's, there's some things to get into about this film. Um, it's just, I like that our Carpenter intro is a little bit more like leaning into like, you know, Oh, it's Carpenter, like, you know, sci-fi horror. And then it's like, um, lighthearted kind of jazzy soundtrack to memoirs of invisible man. Not exactly the same type of cinema, but, um, <laughs> and that's okay. Right. But it's, it's, it's going to be very much a conflicted, uh, film that we'll, we'll get more into it later. This is going to well, be interesting. Yeah, there's no Chevy Chase uh, clips in that audio opening, so uh, I don't know why you didn't clip one of the many classic lines from this film and put it in the intro. Yeah, I didn't clip the whole, like, I've lost 10 pounds, you know, since then. It's like, maybe it's like, do you have any body makeup? Because I'd probably look pretty good naked. You know, yeah. yeah, and and you know who knows because we're going to extend this into next year, guys. Maybe Paul will make a new intro <laughs> that is nothing but the films we haven't covered yet. So yeah, uh, uh, yeah. grab all those vampires, James Wood quotes. I'm just, you know what? Now that you say that, I think what like I think what I should do to freshen it up is actually go find James Woods now and get some quotes from him and put it in there. See what we come up with. I think him and, um, oh, is it, um, is it Adam Baldwin that's in vampires? It's one of the Baldwin. No, it's Billy Baldwin. I think we'll see, you know, let's just, let's go find some, uh, some commentary from some of the other Baldwins and James Woods now and put that in the Carpenter intro. Do you think that'll work out pretty well? Sure. Sure. I mean, if there's one thing I know about James Woods today, uh, is that he's very likable. Yeah, absolutely. So. I've never heard, I've never heard a negative thing about James Woods. Uh, you know, <laughs> He's kind of like, he's kind of like the Chevy Chase of James Woods. I have no idea what that means. So, so yeah, everybody, we're getting to that a little bit later. But before we get into all that, though, as we do here on the show, even though it's a special year of episode, we got to get into our weekend stuff. So, Steve, you said you had like a whole list of media that you got into over the holiday weekend. So yeah, so there were a bunch of different things that I got into, and uh, first I'll start off with because uh, this is this is just going to be a quick shout out. I don't know. 
if it was just because it was before Thanksgiving or if Arrow Video was having a sale and it was being reflected on Amazon or whatever. But Arrow had like a bunch of their discs, uh, like 50% off on Amazon, or at least Amazon had their discs for 50% off. And uh, what I think most people now think of as a Thanksgiving classic is a film called Blood Rage, which was one that I did not own. And I'd only seen it in the last like 10 years. So I don't mean to make it sound like an OG, like Blood Rage fan, or I believe its original title was like, nightmare at sleepy grove or something weird um but for those of you who haven't seen blood rage it's a uh slasher movie from the 80s that takes place on thanksgiving it's one of the few that actually takes place during the holiday um and i realized i didn't own a physical copy of it and i went to go look for it and i was like hey wait this is like 15 bucks and it's normally 30 interesting so i grabbed that and uh I also then went in and uh, bought a movie called Girls' Night Out, which I've been holding in my back pocket uh, because we keep talking with uh, your your other podcast husband, Terry, and with El Goro of having a film night where a, we get a, a together. A girls' night out is what you're saying? Just a girls' night out? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, uh, a, a get-together where we bring a movie that you know people haven't seen and – I'm thinking it's one that they haven't seen, but the problem is, is that both Terry, yourself, and El Goro have seen a lot of movies, and it's always something strange, and this will play into our show next week, when somebody says, I haven't seen that, and you're like, how have you not seen that? But I, I was pretty sure that nobody had seen it. I only had it on DVD, but that was a Arrow release that was like 50% off as well. What's great about that movie is, is it stars... Uh, Julia Montgomery, or as most people probably know her as Betty Childs in the Revenge of the Nerds films. And it comes out, uh, I think, like 1983. It also has Hal, Hal Holbrook in it. Uh, but for some reason, Betty Childs slash Julia Montgomery is getting a bigger shout out to me. Uh, with that in mind, uh, the film is about a killer that goes around in a bear suit um, killing people. So, uh, it's a school mascot costume, but it's a literal like bear suit uh, cosplay, if you will. Although I don't think that term, you know, existed back in the day, but I picked that up and I also, I had only had the DVD version of creep show two. Uh, their Blu-ray of it, I think was like 15. So I picked that up. So I don't know if it's still a sale that's going on. I'm sure since it's the holidays, if you're somebody who is into physical media and looking to pick up things that maybe you own on DVD and want to upgrade, uh, check out Amazon right now. I'm sure there's plenty of deals, but uh, those are, and I stay away from arrow releases. I should also say this as I don't have a, uh, a, what do you call it at this point? A universal Blu-ray player. What is it? Region free. The term? Yeah. Region free. Thank you. So I'm always terrified of buying something that actually is going to be region log. Uh, in this case, I checked all three to make sure that it wasn't going to be, but uh, uh, all three movies, I did watch blood rage, of course, for Thanksgiving and uh, enjoyed it and, did my normal Mystery Science Theater 3000 Turkey Day marathon, which was good. Uh, but wanted to make quick mention of that before I get into like the meat of, of the, the uh, weekend talk, if you will. So, so I've never seen Girls Night Out, so that and I've not seen Blood Rage. So there you go. That sounds like uh, sounds like some fun. I'm hoping people took advantage of our Black Friday deals last week. That's what I'm hoping because you know I'm hoping people did go get some Bed Bath and Beyond sausage. I'm, yeah. I'm hoping that, uh, you know, um, people didn't give every Chick-fil-A their username and password to their <laughs> period tracking app. But 
Who knows? Uh, that said, uh, the main things that I'll talk about. The first one is is that Paul, uh, this is something I've been waiting to discuss with you, and I wanted to, I wanted to message you about it, and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to pull the trigger right now, anyways. So I might as well save it for the show. But you you like to make fun of me because I am an idiot when it comes to modern gaming. I don't make fun of hey hey hey. Well, um, no, no. I you you make it, you know, sound like I'm Amish or something. Like I didn't grow up in a time <laughs> of video games. But uh uh with that in mind, I I, I realized recently I'm like, you know what? It would be kind of cool to play something that isn't from 40 years ago <laughs> or 35 years ago. Uh that's maybe something I should look into. So I'm like, I know there's lots of sales. And I, I, I knew going in, I'm like, well, I'm not going to worry about an, a PlayStation 5 because I know they're hard to come by and I know that they're expensive. Um, maybe I'll look around. And when I started looking around, it is very confusing trying to figure out what to buy. Yeah. Um, so I looked at, for instance, uh, an Xbox. It was on sale on, on Target. It was an Xbox Series S, which I'm like, there's also an Xbox Series X, and I'm guessing that's newer because X comes after S, but maybe this was released after. But then I also looked at its storage, which was 500 and 512 gigabytes, which is like half a terabyte, I believe. Um, you nerds at home can correct me. I'm kidding. Uh, but uh, in my head, I was like, well, that sounds great. But I'm like, well, what if one game is like, because that's, I know also that's a big thing where you're like, I had to download this game and it took 48 hours and it ate up, you know, 97% of my memory. Like, what if, what if one game is like 150 gigabytes? Like, how do I know what to buy? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I know how much storage I need? So I quickly found myself in a quagmire of what to buy. And then I looked at the Nintendo Switch and I'm like, I don't know. This is probably outdated and old and people probably hate it. Because uh, that usually seems to the way it goes with systems where it's like, you bought that? You son of a bitch, you sad sack. I can't believe you spent good money on that. Nobody plays the Switch anymore. You're a loser, Steve. And these were the conversations that I was having as I was going through it. So my question to you is, if I decide to dip my toe in these waters, what system would you recommend? I'm taking PlayStation 5 off the table just because that's that's the top shelf booze that's the that's the oh you want the martini it's a hundred dollars sure i'll make that for you uh i'm asking you like what should i be looking for so okay a couple things there uh one is that when it comes to xbox and the way they label their systems who knows because every time they release a new generation they name it something something else so it's really hard to like understand exactly what is the current generation system unless you already kind of know by like kind of like you know it's what like it's not like you'll never figure it out but it's it's very confusing right because there was the Xbox the Xbox 360 the Xbox One it's like no no just pick pick a direction but titles right so that's tough uh, so I know the X and the S series are different. I don't know in what capacity because I've actually not picked up one of those yet because we have an Xbox One that's the previous generation that's sitting in our, our uh, bedroom that I don't even use now. It's not because we don't I don't not want it. It's just it's in terms of though we have our media set up downstairs. There's not space for it. So I'll say that. Two, um, 
when it comes to the question I have to ask you is what kind of gaming do you want to do? Like what kind of games did you like playing? And that might, that might tip the scale one way or another for the system you're wanting to get. So, okay. I'll, I'll say this one. I, when I left gaming or when I stopped buying new consoles, if you will, the last thing that I owned was a Xbox. And the last game that I remember buying was, uh, it was either battle battleground two, which is a star Wars game. I'm sorry. Battlefront two, uh, which is a star Wars game, or it was the revenge of the Sith adaptation. That's around 2005. So I'm thinking my Xbox probably dies around that period. Uh, but I've never played online with anybody, so I don't want to go. I don't want to go start playing games where I'm immediately going to get pissed within 20 minutes because 12 year olds who've been playing it 14 hours a day for the last like three years are just going to kill me every time I pop into a game. I don't want Excuse that. Excuse me. How, how dare you accuse me of being me today earlier <laughs> before we start you recording? Know. Like I literally no. Like my wife was like um, asking me like. Well, like she was going to order like pizza hut or whatever. I'm like, I was like, can you just give me a minute? Cause I was just getting really frustrated at overwatch. And I didn't want to be like, I just, I want to be like, I have bandwidth for two things right now. One is trying to beat these assholes here or ordering pizza. And I can't do both right now. Give me a minute. You know? <laughs> so, um, with that being said, not me, but like what you're looking for, it sounds like you do like action shooters. Um, they're, the landscape's different now because there are a lot of games that do have an online component or they're online only. And I don't, I wouldn't recommend those to you with that being said, um, there is a number of star Wars products out there that I think you would dig that, um, like fallen order. Um, I think that's the one that came out like two years ago. That is a single player. Um, it's, you know, you're, you're playing a Jedi, you know, it's, it's supposed to be a great game. I, I've not played it myself. Um, I know what else is out there. Uh, you know, like not that this is a thing, but like the God of war games are standalone. There's no online component to those games. Um, like the, the red dead games that I've liked a great deal. There is red dead two has an online component, but you do not have to play it whatsoever to play the main campaign. Um, the two Spider-Man games that came out recently, Spider-Man and then miles Morales are single player games. Uh, so there's a lot of things out there, but what you're looking at is, um, uh, capacity, uh, performance, meaning like you said about games, like, is it going to take up a lot of my hard drive? That is a potential, um, like for my PS five. And when I had my PS four, I did buy an external hard drive that I can load things on. It was real easy to use. I still use it. The switch doesn't have the biggest capacity for storage. There's ways to add more memory to it, but also from a performance standpoint, it's still going okay. It's just that when it comes to games getting ported to it, it doesn't have necessarily the horsepower to pull off a lot of other studios titles, but Nintendo does a pretty good job of making their own stuff work really well on that, on that, um, their platform, which if you remember anything about Nintendo, that's always been their MO. Right. I've always been like, we'll make our stuff look good. And it's like, and we're hoping for some people to come over to us, but we always make it confusing. Hey guys, you remember the GameCube? Nobody made games for it. You know? So, um, my recommendation to you would be, you know, go get a PS4. Cause then also too, like you have, I know you already, you guys already have an Apple TV, but you know, like you at least still have the media side of it there too. If you need that, there might be apps available for the PlayStation that you can't get through your Apple TV. 
as well. Cause I know sometimes it's weird with that. Um, you know, it's also, it's a, it's a, it's a good Blu-ray player, which I know you already have one of those, but it, it's multifunctional. Also, if you do want to go online, they have a decent marketplace that you can actually buy games to download that are older generation games that mm-hmm. are PS2, PS3. So you do have, yeah, I'm, yeah. my apologies. No, no, you have a lot more options there. Uh, and you don't have to play online. Like, um, there is something called PlayStation plus, which is a, it's, it could either be monthly or year long subscription, uh, service. Like I, it's, I think it's like 60 bucks for the year, but that, it gives you a couple things. One is it gives you the ability to play games online with people if you want to, which I know that's not your jam, but it also gives you access to some library titles, meaning you can download them. And as long as you have the service active, you can play them. And that also means that also with PlayStation plus every month they put out two games for free that might be an independent game that was recently released or an older title. Like, I don't know, like six months ago, they offered God of war for free for a month. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a lot of options there if you want to get into some of that type of gaming. So I'm just saying for bang for your buck, the style of gaming that I think you prefer probably a PlayStation four. And those like they're still selling because you're right. PlayStation fives are hard to find, but it, it, it like it's still good. It's still a really good system. Okay. And, and, yeah, had I, and had I known that you were interested, I would have given you mine, but I'd already given mine away. So I'm sorry, it's, Steve. It's not that big of yes. a deal. It's it's also something that like I will have to talk to Kathy about because it's not like a minor purchase, you know. Uh, and I and we'll talk about this uh, once I get to the end of my uh, weekend talk. But I just spent a lot of money on something. Uh, That's and, fair. No, I, I know what you spent money on, but like, so if anybody listening, I hope that I didn't bore you to tears about this discussion. It's just that like, or even like an Xbox one, like I'm talking like the previous generation gaming, right? Cause I mean, like, I know you like halo. Um, mm-hmm. and I don't know if the newest Halo, the newest halo is kind of online. So like it has a persistent world. I think that's just for the Xbox X or S. I'm not sure if it's available for Xbox one. I could be wrong about that. Cause a lot of these games right now are bridging the previous generation and the current, like the, like what you call current now. Mm-hmm. Um, and the developers are making them for both. Like, like I'll give you an example, God of war Ragnarok. They put out a version for both uh, PlayStation five and four. Right. So um, there is the possibility for that. And also with the Microsoft side, you do have some exclusives, uh, like uh, Gears of War, which um, if you've not played any of those games, they're like if you like Halo, but Gears is more of like a cover shooter. It's really cool, and then plus you also got uh, Bender being the voice of the main character. I uh, honestly you know. thought you were gonna say, you know, but if you like Gears, this is the game for you. And I'm like, wait, I did not expect you to make that recommendation. I will say, you know, on the the front of online gaming in the sense of being multiplayer with people across the world or whatever. I'm not completely closed off to that idea. Like, for instance, I don't even know because of the the uh, the lawsuit that Victor Miller that waged against uh, Sean Cunningham with the you know I know that updates had stopped to the Friday Thirteenth game, but I would be open to like owning something like that where I'm like, well, I could be a victim or I could be Jason, and it's random and. That's yeah. kind of fun. Well, and that game's still um, available. And then there's also the, the Texas Chainsaw game that's coming. Like there's the um there's the uh Evil Dead game that came out. Like 
there, like there's a lot of these, like, you know, one V four or like three V two. Like we talked about, um, the killer clowns game coming soon. Not that I want to play that, but it's an option, you know? So, um, there, there are other games out there. It's just that like something like overwatch, which is now free to play. I mean, you could download it for free, but there's a lot of other like things that go into that. So, uh, damn the internet. Um, anyway, so you have a lot of options. The big thing that you got to ask yourself is what kind of game you want to do. Um, and you know, then you got to look at like, is it Sony? Is it Microsoft? Is it Nintendo? Is there a matter of exclusives that I want? Because maybe, maybe you want to go more old school like Nintendo and then the switch is perfectly fine. Like, like, uh, we have a switch. Uh, we love it. Like Mary loves playing like her harvest moon game on it. And, there's a Legend of Zelda game on there that looks amazing that I've tried playing like twice and then I leave it alone because it's big and it's scary sometimes. Mm. But yeah, anyway, so you got options. Yeah, yeah. I just, you, it was so funny. I, uh, and I don't know uh, that much about video games these days, but I immediately realized once I started digging into it that I am the old man that I thought I never would be when I was a kid where I would tell things to like my parents and they would just be confused. And I'd be like, how do you not understand what this is? And, uh, yeah, (laughs) well, and then also too, with the, with the holidays, this might be like the last big holiday, um, like season for the PlayStation four. Cause I think I thought you were going to say for me, I was like, wow, that's yeah. Well, I mean, uh, dark ball, Steve, I mean, I do have a magic eight ball. The outlook's not so good. No, um, what I'm saying is like, um, I'm guessing Sony and Microsoft are kind of wanting to kind of cut ties in terms of production arcs with their previous generation consoles because they have the new one out and like, and the PlayStation five has been out for two years now. Right. And the Xbox series, uh, X and one and X and S have been out for two years. So I'm going to guess they're going to be like, we're going to, they're, they're hoping to probably like ramp down production of, um, ex, you know, of, exclusive titles and other things because like they've already moved on. It's just that you've mentioned availability being an issue. Then that's been the big thing, the scarcity of it. That's the reason why I didn't get a PlayStation five until recently. Cause I wasn't, I wasn't going to pay like a headhunter like double for that system. I'm glad I have it, yeah. but I was going to pay like retail, like retail price for it. Right. Not like it's just the whole, that, that whole thing's gross where people just would swoop up and grab them and then like, you know, try to flip them. So anyway, that's the you were there. But yeah, if there's something that you're interested in, uh, let me know. And uh, but I think there's there's a lot of cool games out there that I think you'd dig that are single player. And if you want to do multiplayer stuff, that's fine. But you you know, like you said, so you you might get mad at some uh, people online, like I do. I'm I am I am not a good um, role model for online gameplay for, in terms of shooters. <laughs> in ter- well, no, sorry, one specific shooter, Cold Overwatch Two. So yeah. All right. Well, the next thing that I'm going to talk about here uh, briefly is, is uh, there were some movies that we watched. Um, the first one uh, I watched, it had been on my radar, obviously, because uh, it's a recent movie and it's got a lot of positive buzz going around it. But uh, a friend of the show, El Goro, was like, check this movie out. So I finally uh, sat down and watched Barbarian. Have you gotten to it yet? No, I have not. Okay, so my non-spoiler review of it is is that I don't know how I feel about it. Um, what I can liken it to, in the terms of my first reaction, in the sense that I feel like I need to watch the movie again, is you've mentioned previously you've seen One Hour Photo, correct, with Robin Williams? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I had a completely separate reaction from the second time I watched it. It wasn't because I was like, oh, I don't know what this movie is doing. But like it was so baffling to me that the way the story is changed once you have the lens of knowing everything at the very end of it. Mm -hmm. That when you're watching it the second time, you're like, oh, God, this is not creepy. It's sad. Um, You know, because the first time that you're watching it, you're just like, oh, my God, this is. You know, and this is not the same experience for Barbarian, but I mean that it's a film that I need. I feel like I need to watch it again to really suss out how I feel about it. But with one hour photo, the first time I watched it, I was just creeped out the entire way through. And then the second time I watched it, knowing how the movie ends and more about Robin Williams' character, I was just like, I feel so awful for this poor human being. Um, which is a completely separate reaction from the first time I watched it. But in keeping that in mind with Barbarian, there are choices that I, it makes that I I question not because I'm like the way I'm approaching it. I'm not looking at it from a point of view of going, oh well, that's not good, you know, storytelling, or that's not uh, clear, concise. Uh, uh, what sort I'm looking for here? Uh, plots. Uh, because there's certain things that you need to do within a plot to make things go and connect, but there's nothing that I'm like, Oh, that doesn't work in those senses. But there are choices that I feel like are made within the film that are made specifically to subvert expectations. And that's not necessarily a bad reason, but I also don't know if they're good storytelling choices just because I don't think you should make a choice just because it subverts expectations. There should be another underlying reason why you go that way. And I'm not saying that Barbarian doesn't. I'm just saying at first blush, I'm like, ah, oh, they're they're really playing with a lot of things here. I don't know how I feel about this. Is it a good choice or is it that they're doing it specifically because it's completely 180 from what the natural expectation would be? Uh, that was the place that I found myself with uh, Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi where I was like, is this something that I don't like because it's subverting expectations or is this something that I like because it's taking this character in a new direction and that it took me a while to get to that place. So Barbarian, I can now see why it's a very divisive film. Uh, that said, I would highly encourage you to watch it. I think it is a good movie. Don't get me wrong. It's not like the the things that I'm debating in my mind are, is this a piece of shit or is it a good movie? It's not that. It's just the choices that it made, I was kind of surprised by. And I'm like, well, is my surprise good enough to carry it over into being something that I embrace and love? Or is it that I'm just watching a movie that's trying to subvert my expectations the entire way through? Um, that said, Justin Long is one of the main actors in this, this film. And I kind of forgotten how much I enjoy Justin Long as an actor. Cause I feel like he's in the last 10 years sort of moved into more, independent and smaller pictures you know i think i feel like from like the mid 90s through the you know mid 2000s to late 2000s justin long was kind of in a lot of different things and was always in stuff that i liked whether it was just him uh in the movie that i liked or in movies that i liked or television shows uh so it was nice to see him again because i think he gives a great performance uh i i don't want to i don't want to spoil any of it so i don't want to say anything else about it but uh, it would be an interesting discussion, and it's I can see why people are talking about the movie. Um, it's one that caught me off guard. And had I had I not watched had I watched it not knowing 
that El Gore was like, you need to check this out. I might have been even more thrown off by it. So I'm curious to see what my take will be upon a second viewing. Okay. Well, everything you just said makes me not want to watch the movie. I'm kidding. Uh, no, a lot of people have asked me, like a lot of people, like I'm on the streets walking down the street, like, hey, Paul. <laughs> Have you seen Barbarian? I'm like, no, thanks for asking. I just keep walking. No, um, like I'm at the grocery store, like, you know, buying varying amounts of cheese, you know, not making eye contact. Now, um, uh, what it seems like from the people I've talked to and then some of the social media stuff, it feels like there's like an 80-20 split of 80% of people being like, this movie's really good. And the 20% of the people will be like, F this movie. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm really, I am curious. I've not gotten to it yet. Um, so yeah, I, it is on my radar for sure. Okay. Yeah. I, I would recommend it, uh, for some reason, uh, that Nope were two movies that just Nope, uh, specifically, I didn't get to see in the theaters. It was on my radar, but this and Nope are the two that I'm like, "Ah, I really need to see. And I still haven't seen Nope yet. So, um, thumbs up for barbarian. Just still don't know how I feel about it. Fair enough. Uh, the next thing that we, uh, tackled was, uh, uh, spirited, which is a Ryan Reynolds, Will Ferrell collaboration uh, that's on Apple TV. Uh, are you aware of this film? Yeah, it's it's a Christmas movie. Yes. Okay. So I I guess the, the silence should have answered that question. But I was I I don't know you know how big Apple is in the terms of like what its viewership is. I know that it's growing. And you know it doesn't hurt that they like give free subscriptions when you buy an Apple product. But I don't know where they are as far as like their film output is because they only put their films out if they ever do in brief theatrical runs. Like I think this movie was debuted as like a free preview for like Regal fans and stuff like that. But I don't think it's playing anywhere. Um, And you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. If it is in theaters everywhere and I'm an idiot. My apologies. <laughs> um, yeah, but you already you already gave um, Wakanda Forever the Steve bump, so I think you're uh, giving a little bit of good <laughs> grace did. here. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I I liked it. I'll admit that I went into it uh, having watched the the previews. I was like, it feels like they're trying to do Scrooge, and that just makes me mad because Scrooge is a perfect movie. It's not a perfect movie, but it's a perfect movie for me. I love that movie. We've talked about it previously. And I was worried that was the route that they were going. And it is, yes, very much a retelling of the the classic Dickens story. But there are twists and turns and things that I didn't exactly see coming. Uh, that said, for a movie with two people who I really like, Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell, I was bummed out that I didn't love it more or didn't like it more um because i don't think i ever got to loving it one of the things that bugged me was is uh it's part musical and the movie starts out by making fun of the musical aspect which i feel like after shrek did it uh 20 years ago where shrek's like hey there's musical sequences and we know that everyone thinks they're cheesy and lame but we're gonna do them anyway they they kind of take the piss out of that you know having to sit through a musical because i We'll say right now, even though I starred in, I shouldn't say starred, I was in three of them in high school because 30 years ago is still important to who I am. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not a musical guy, and my wife is, so like she loved the movie. She thought it was great. I feel like you can't really pull that card of like, oh, musicals suck, but we're going to be a musical anyway. Like I feel like that's a... I feel like I've seen it before, so I... 
I don't like musicals, so I'm not going to be in for that anyway. And I've already seen somebody do it better of making fun of the idea that it's partially a musical. So I think um, with what you're saying there, and this, there was a, a recent sequel released on Disney Plus, the film Enchanted from like, oh, it's like 15 years ago with Amy Adams and um, James Marsden, how it mm-hmm. kind of, it kind of, you know, took the piss out of like the Disney princess and like Prince fairy tale storytelling. They had musical numbers in there. I, I, I like that movie a great deal. And I know there's the sequel that just came out that also has musical numbers, but it's like, I think that there's a fine line. Like um, I will also say um, it took me a little while to get to it. Cause I had to eat some crow, uh, with with my wife but there's the apple tv series schmigadoon did you watch that Mm -hmm. or no so kathy started the first episode i saw some of it because i really like cicely strong and i really like um michael keegan key and i was like well let me know how it is and i think she only got three episodes in so uh i have not actually watched it i've seen pieces of it but the fact that my wife who is kind of in the bag for that kind of thing wasn't, it didn't become an instant must watch for her. Fair enough. Uh, and it, it may have also just been that she got distracted by something shiny. Uh, cause it happens to us a lot where we start something and then get something else gets our attention and we forget about it. That's yeah. a possibility. So too, what I'm, what I'm saying is I think there's a way to, to walk that line of like, like kind of like, you know, like a little bit of reverence, but also still doing it. And it sounds like to me from your experience of spirited is that it, it tried to have its cake and eat its too, it have its cake and eat it too, but it didn't, it didn't pull it off is what I, th- I think that's the vibe of what I'm getting from what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, if it's another holiday classic, great. Uh, if I'm looking at Will Ferrell's movies and I'm like, I get to watch one, Will Ferrell Christmas movie. I'm going to go with Elf, and I I totally get that that's an easy choice to make. But um, it's easy because it's great. Like you know what I mean. Like that's that's um yeah. I love Elf. Like that movie. Like it just it has no right being as much as fun as it is. You know. But like and then knowing that that would lead to you know the Marvel Cinematic Universe as we now know it. There's a lot in Elf that to like. <laughs> Right. Yeah. So yeah, uh, I, I love elf. And if they, you're telling me, uh, if that, if you have two Will Ferrell Christmas movies, yeah, like that, like whatever he makes after that has a long, it's a, it, like elf casts a very long and very happy smiley shadow. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, it, my wife really liked it and you know, she could see by my reaction that I wasn't digging it. And, you know, maybe I was just being a curmudgeon. Maybe upon a rewatch next year, at the same time, I'll fall in love with it. Like uh, I want to, I want to say, like, what was your body language? You're just sitting there, like, like just, just angry, like just taking swigs out of like a bottle of Jack and like <laughs> stubbing out cigarettes and just being like, <laughs> you know. And then at the very end, you just shot the TV with the hang. <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Like, yes, I'm, I'm. Uh, any of the depictions that you saw in the classic uh, Simpsons episode where they go behind the scenes and <laughs> yes. it's like uh, Matt Groening. Yeah. Uh, I was thinking more know. sideshow Bob with the Cape fear parody of him. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. Um, I, 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 you know, I have a hard time hiding my feelings. We're watching stuff as my wife's like, yeah, let's just watch it. And I'm just like, 
<laughs> for me, I was I was on my laptop way more than I should have been. We'll just put it that way. You know, yeah, that, uh, that's that's fair. I I get frustrated sometimes where I'll be watching something with my wife and she's like, I know them from somewhere. I'm like, of course you do. They're professionals. And then she's like, I can't. I didn't. She has to bring out her phone. I'm like, can you check it after? <laughs> you know, like. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so if yeah. I if I start looking at the laptop while we're watching the movie, it's not a good sign. <laughs> it's like it's like somehow you bring out your your uh, drafting table and start like just making <laughs> like it's like you, it's like you're not really in architecture, but now you have an idea. Like you're like, you know, like <laughs> yeah, and I mean it's it's a perfectly okay Christmas movie too. You know, I I don't take that as like oh it's it's crap and don't watch it, but it's just it wasn't my cup of tea and. Again, it's it's not the fault of its stars because you know it's also got Octavia Spencer in it. Excuse me, and I, I'm blanking on some of the other people, but like it's a, it's a full cast. It's it's you know well done. You know, I I wouldn't say don't watch it, but it was a disappointment to me. But I can't tell if that's just because. I was walking into it where I'm like, I'm not going to like this. So. I, just, I think there's a certain baked in like forgiveness for holiday movies that I'm not really, um, I don't believe in. Like you can still give me a good holiday movie. That's still a good movie. And you say it's perfectly okay. So I agree with you on that. Like, I haven't seen the movie, but you know, it, it's not offensive, but I think some people get really like forgiving of like, but you know, it's a Christmas movie. Like the same thing as like, Oh, but it's a comedy. Like, no, like it doesn't do its job. Does it make me want to like, like, um, could I watch national lampoons Christmas vacation any time of year? Probably. Cause that movie's mm-hmm. great. Right. Could I watch elf any time of year? Probably. Um, you know, but like, I don't know, like, I, like, and I'm not saying that you're giving it a pass because it's a holiday film, but I like, everyone's like, well, you know, whatever. I don't know who, I don't know whose voice I'm doing right now, but that's, you know, whatever. <laughs> You're doing the voice that I do for everyone whenever I like I you know I tend to do the same voice no matter who I'm imitating. Uh, uh, Pendulette once said that everybody has two voices. They have their voice and then the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and his other guy voice always he said he always saw, said it sounded like Yosemite Sam. <laughs> like that's always. <laughs> everybody has. Everyone always said like whenever told, someone's telling a story and they talk about how somebody else. Everybody has that other guy voice, right? So, <laughs> so did you uh, did you watch anything else over the the weekend? No, the last thing that I wanted to make mention of was just because it was pretty big in my sphere of of the world uh, is that uh, out of nowhere, out of the blue, un- like no one, there was no talk about this coming. There was no no announcement previous to like, oh, pay attention on Monday because something big is going to happen. Uh, out of the blue, Metallica's like, hey, uh, new album coming next year. Uh, hey, we're going to do a gigantic tour. Uh, oh, also, uh, here's the first signal, or first single, which uh, former uh, co-host Joe, um, and I don't know how else to refer to him because he's the originator, originator he's the OG of, of Invasion with you, uh, but he, he's both of our friends, so we do talk. It's not, you know, some sort of... If you want yeah. to call him the co-jost, I'm okay with that. That's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he had messaged me. He was the first one to get a hold of me. Like, my, cause my phone started blowing up on Monday, but he was the first one. And it was an article and it was like, I, I just looked at the headline. I'm like, Oh, new Metallica album. Great. 2023. I'm like, Oh, it's not till next year. Yeah. All right, fine. I put my phone down and then people were like, there's a new song and there's a video. And I'm like, Oh my God, what, what's happening? So, um, with that in mind, uh, I 
quickly went to uh, iTunes because that's where I do buy all my music because I'm an Apple user. Uh, you know, pre-ordered the album and got the download for their first song off of it, which is called Lux Eterna. Uh, but I, I have to say two things. One, uh, I bought tickets for their show in Chicago in 2024, which initially I thought was next year in 2023. I had like over a year and a half to wait for this. I guess that's good because now I have a reason to live. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> they're, uh, Oh, I just, I have this terrible, this terrible image of like you skidding off the highway somewhere and like your vehicle rolls down the hill and you're like, <sighs> <sighs> Metallica and it's like you just somehow punch your way out of your car you know all all the little Debbie snack cake wrappers like fall out with you and you somehow just like get your way back like all the like you know you 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 staunch the bleeding with the cardboards from all the Twinkies that you had eaten and you get back up to the highway and you're like flagging down somebody you're like listen I have tickets to Metallica for two nights in Chicago. Like, you know, they're like, Oh shit, we're going to call the ambulance right now. You know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I guess because I thought it was next year, I was like, Oh, well next year I'll get a new album and I'll get to see them on tour. It's great. But they're doing two nights of every show, which I think is interesting. And they're promising a different set list each night, which is when I saw them on the Orion fest back in 2011, I think, uh, they played all of the Black Album one night, and then they played all of Ride the Lightning another night, which was great because it's like you're getting two albums worth of material on a two separate shows, you know, within a day of each other. Uh, so I was like, "Well, I have to go see them because that's the other thing is is that previous to this, I told me it was like I don't ever need to see them again. I've seen them enough times in my life that I don't need to." And immediately as soon as they announced the tour, I, I said to her, "I'm like, I gotta get tickets," <laughs> uh, but. Uh, I, I bought the uh, field tickets, which means that, uh, you know, they're playing Soldier Field in Chicago. It's a uh, football stadium. Uh, their stage will be essentially from looking at the layout. It'll probably be in the middle. And they're bringing back what's called the snake pit, which I realized that, like, I was going to pay more money for if I went into the snake pit. I don't know if I'd enjoy the concert there because I feel like I'm I will be approaching 50 uh very quickly uh at that point in 2024 that's uh two months later i'll be 50 i'm like i don't know that i can be the guy in the pit at this point so well it sounds like you I, got a year and a half to get in shape for it dude come on that's <laughs> that's true but i bought i bought tickets and it's a you know two-day show in chicago what's great is is that it, i didn't think of it as a, a bonus at first because it's a friday sunday show and I'm like, oh, I'm like, why isn't it Friday, Saturday or Saturday, Sunday? Like, I thought the two nights would be together. But I realized, well, we can go to Chicago. We can go and do stuff. And, like, we can see Metallica Friday night. We can go and spend an entire day in Chicago on Saturday. You know, get up Sunday, go do stuff in Chicago as well, and then go see them Sunday night. And then, you know, probably leave Monday morning. Well, but also give you a chance to, like, get some goddamn sleep. You know, yeah. like, like, come on. That's, that's, that's the 40, 44 year old of me where I'm like, Oh, when are you going to sleep? You got to take naps. Like, you know, <laughs> but I, I, I bought tickets for soldier field, uh, in August of 2024, uh, just to give you guys an idea of what I paid. Uh, the fees alone were like $150. Uh, once I, they started breaking them down and I'm like, huh, it's a lot of people getting a cut of this. And I guess, you know, that's any concert that you go to, but, uh, 
That's all uh, garbage. I, pro- processing fees annoy me. Like I, if it's if it's going to be part, like I'm, I'm cutting you off, and I'm about to drag this out. If you're selling a ticket for a price, that should also be implied that they they know what they got to book them. They know what the venue is. That should be all baked in. So if, if the ticket prices are then higher without fees, I guess I guess it's a matter of like you know you're, you're not seeing them, but it's like. I have a real hard time with fees because it's like that's just, it just seems like that's just fake money, like fake charges mm. on top of things. That's that's the hill I want to die on. It annoys me. Yeah, and I'll just say this: you know, the thing that my excitement is wrapped up in is is the fact that uh, you know there seems to suddenly be a lot of goodwill towards them. I don't know if Stranger Things like <laughs> turned the, the the needle around or yeah, the, I'm sure it did. Uh, you know the yeah. the perception around, but I as as having been a fan uh, for over 30 years, I'm so used to like anytime they do anything, people just being like, fuck them. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it came out and I realized it was coming out. Oh, oh, that's a, that's a passionate Steve uh, comment there. All right, everybody. Well, this, this, this episode is now PG 13. Uh, yeah. So my go. apologies. <laughs> uh, I don't think it'll come up in the rest of the episode, but that's, I'm used to that. F- I don't know. Um, I think you're going to get, I think you're going to give me some really hot takes about Chevy chase later. So I don't know, <laughs> but I'll say that you have a choice, Steve, either, either I can bleep this one or one later. You can't, you can't have two. <laughs> well, you can bleep this one uh, oh, to, to keep our, rating, no, it's, you know, I, like, uh, what, like what, what kind of animosity are you bringing into the movie? That's what I'm curious about anyway. So no, continue, please. <laughs> no, I'm just so used to everybody immediately <laughs> like shitting on whatever they do. <laughs> Uh, that like, I'm seeing like nothing but positive reactions and I'm like, what's happened in the last like six months that has done this? Is it just that people were like, Hey, I watched a TV show that featured one of their songs from, you know, 1986 and now I'm back on the bandwagon. I don't know. I don't know if that's it, but like I'm seeing positive reviews everywhere and I'm just so used to everyone just tearing them down because they are, they are a giant. I always make fun of in other respects where people are, you know, what I call, uh, I guess maybe sporting might be the best analogy, but like people who root for the Yankees where it's like, Oh, do you go to the Las Vegas and root for the house as well? Like it just seems like a, 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 a easy thing to root for, you know, and that the Yankees at one point were sort of like this and they probably still are. I don't know, but they were a dynasty. Um, I shouldn't bring up um, sports metaphors because now I don't know where to go with that. But but the or point like, is, no, like that Patriots fans, the like, like it's like the last like twenty years, you've been really spoiled as Patriots fans. It's like, oh, everybody's Patriots fans now. Okay, great. That must be yeah. the easy thing to cheer for, right? Yeah. And it's been the reverse with Metallica, where like you know they're so huge and people are still buying their albums and they're still selling out shows, but everyone seems to somehow hate them or tell me that they haven't done anything good since 1986. Like that's usually the reaction that I get. Anytime I talk to anybody about Metallica, the first thing that I usually get is I get, you know, I'd say that their best album was probably injustice for all or master of puppets. I don't really listen to anything that they've done after that. And my answer to that is like, do, Go to hell. Like, do, do, do they comb their mullet and get into their Trans Am and then just drive away? Um, <laughs> like, and they, it's, like, it's okay not to like stuff, but I feel like people are, they want to be cool and they want to point out that they haven't liked anything since Master Puppets. Like, okay, then why are you still a fan of them? 
Why why are you a fan of a band in 2022 if they haven't made an album you like since 1986? That's fair. I mean, you I, know, well, I guess I mean, I guess you'd be like, hey, hey, Rolling Stones fans. What was like, where are you at? Where are you? Because I mean, that's a, that's a different entity. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but no, everyone yeah. will like gush about the, the Rolling Stones. And I guess that's the point that I'm coming around to is, is that uh, and unfortunately, because I watched one video, YouTube now wants me to, to see every reaction video in relation to this new song being released. But I, I, it, it's just refreshing. We're like, wow, no, nobody's really actively being an asshole about this. This is kind of nice. Like it's uh, and it's fun, too, because I'm seeing so many different reactions that are, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's kill them all. And, you know, some people are like, oh, it's got a little bit of crunch to it. It's reminding to me of like their cover of um, oh, uh, Stone Cold Crazy, which is a Queen song. Like I'm seeing these different reactions and I'm like, oh, that's kind of nice that everybody's getting a little something out of this and not immediately attacking it. I'm sure six months from now, the, the tides will change and everyone will just go back to hating them uh, or secretly loving them and telling everyone they hate them. But it, it's been nice uh, as a Metallica fan, one, to get a new song just out of nowhere two to have something to look forward to in the future to see them again. And three, the fact that it's just not immediately being shit on by anybody and everyone on the internet. All right. Fair enough. I, I think it's, I think it's just entertaining to me uh, that everybody else is really excited. And I'm just like, Oh, that's nice. That's nice for everybody. I don't know. Like I just, I'm so indifferent and I'm not, it's not because I'm holier than thou. Cause I am not, but it's just like, Oh, okay. Like I'll like my friend circle. Everybody's really excited for this. So I'm just like, huh? <laughs> like it's, I, I can't like, like, I guess, I don't know. It was just like, I, cause I, I was trying to make a joke about how, like I didn't know what was going on and I got smacked down, uh, with some knowledge. Uh, with some reality, and then I had to, <laughs> had to walk away into the darkness there uh, about making a joke. Um, but it's like I was trying to come from the same approach, like with you about video games, where like you'll make a comment about a game today, and you're like, "I'm like Steve, I know you're just making, you're just saying words from things that you know to fit into the conversation, which is the joke, right? I get yeah. it, but I'm just like, oh, I make one, I make one like like side askance uh, comment about Metallica, and then everybody comes after me, <laughs> like. <laughs> to be fair, I didn't see until after no, that. No, no, it's fine. The aftermath no, no, it's just it. there was a group chat. Everybody's excited, and I just posted like a gif about like don't know what's going on, and then I got told what was going on in very literal terms, and I didn't have a comeback. And I, I, I have now been dead for three days in a parking lot in Giant Eagle. So this is my bloated corpse is sitting there, and I'm now recording somehow beyond the veil. So. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I died everybody and I, ghosts aren't real, but like until they find my body, I'm still recording. So I, I think I do have to go back real quick too. you know, the, the other equation that I, I make, and I think I brought this up last episode where like people, if you tell people that you're a fan of something, they have, you know, the people when they're responding, you feel like they have to qualify it in some way. Like in the sense that, you know, when you tell people that you're into horror movies and then you mention like a movie that you're into, people immediately have to qualify it by like whether they thought it was good or bad or in, yeah. in this case, not scary, you know, which is, you know, the other thing that I get often it was, which is, you know, uh, if, oh, uh, well, if you're into them that, you know, they're not heavy, you should listen to, you know, Raid and Blood. And I'm like, yeah. I get it. Like uh, Slayer is a lot of people's favorite band and I get that they're heavy and I'm not disparaging them in any way, but it's not my cup of tea. I'm, I'm more here for 
Metallica than I am Slayer. You know, I like Anthrax. I like Megadeth. But you don't have to like one up somebody every time. You know oh what I no, mean? for like, sure. No, no, no. I get it. No, like uh, it'd be like, hey, do you like sandwiches? Like, yeah. Well, what kind of toppings? You don't know what sandwiches are. Right, exactly. You know, it's like you haven't had a sandwich until you've had it on a brioche bun, or oh no. Anyway, so um, and I get it too. I have my own like weird little, you know, insignificant. No, not insignificance, but idiosyncrasies. uh, is what I think Thank it's, you. Yeah, I think that's the word you're looking for. No, it's fine. Like you guys are all excited. Everybody's excited for Metallica. That's great, right? Good, good. You know, like that's cool. Like I just, I just part of me like sometimes wishes that maybe I had a little more passion for that side of things. But I, there's a lot of music that I adore that everyone else is like, oh yeah, yeah. But like, and if one of the bands I like come to town, I'm gonna be really excited. Everyone's like, well, that's that, good for you, Paul. And they're gonna pat me on the head, and then I'll be mad about it. But anyway, that's neither here or there. So I'm excited that you get to go to Chicago. I'm I'm more excited that you get a day off between shows being an old man too. I'm excited that you get a minute to recover. I think that's great. That's really, really great. And cause that way you're not stuck night to night, like back to back nights in the, in the UFO that is soldier field now. So if you look Mm -hmm. at that, they built a, they did an updated version of the stadium on top of the old soldier field. It looks like a UFO landed on it. It's, it's really funny. Um, so yeah, anyway, I'm excited. Yeah, that you I mean, do that. if there's a Cubs game going on, my wife is, uh, and I think I talked about this previously. Like uh, the fact that if you walk into our house, it's it's not really on display in our new house, but our old house, there was a ton of Ohio State stuff and a, a ton of Cubs stuff, and they're like, "Oh, is this like your man cave?" I'm like, "No, that this is all the wife. It's like the, I don't care about any of this man cave, right?" Yeah, and I'm like, uh, "This is all hers. I don't." I don't have any particular feelings one way or another, <laughs> you, but you should be, you should like, this would be funny. I know you shouldn't do it cause it costs money, but like the day between the shows, see if the white Sox are playing in the South side of Chicago. I'm like, I got you socks tickets. I thought you liked, it's a <laughs> oh, Chicago she, baseball she, team, right? You like them. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. That would be grounds for divorce. She hates the Sox. She, and the thing is, is that, uh, you know, after college, she moved to Chicago and she fell in love with baseball there. Like, she so the Cubs are her team. She roots for the Indians. She loves the Indians. They're probably her second favorite team. But like, she's a Cubs girl at heart. So the fact that I've never actually been to a Cubs game, I think, is also something that she wants to cross off the bucket list. And hopefully that'll somehow line as up. As long as you go there well. and just keep asking where Ferris is the entire time, I think that's fine. <laughs> you know, where, where's the was the Kabasi King? Where is he at anyway? So all right. So I have I have sausage two, King the of sauce, Chicago. That's it. Sorry, I, the wrong wrong meat product. Right? Um, yeah. Sorry. Uh, so I have two quick stories um, from the weekend that I want to mention here. One is. Unless you have a, unless you want to have something. Uh, no, my okay. apologize. No. My my apologies, if you will, for monopolizing. I, I will. Uh, I will accept your apologize. Uh, so no. So two things here, real quick. One is on um, Friday. I went to an AIW show, an absolutely intense wrestling show here in uh, Northeast Ohio. It was in East Lake, Ohio. Went there to go see. Is the first wrestling show I've been to in like oh, quite a while. A lot of fun. The reason I want to mention is because I was there with my wife, and she'd not been to one for a couple of years. Because well, one. COVID right. And two, it's, it's been a little while. Um, it was like it, the, the show started late because they're having problems with their, um, there's a thing called fight TV that they're now a part of. So I guess there's problems with like getting connected to the feed for the live show. So it, it was delayed for a bit, but anyway, so we were waiting for a while. Um, but so the show got started late, uh, but we went through the card, a lot of fun. 
it was the second to last match. I got up to go to the bar to go grab some beverages, which is a walk away from where we're at and everything was fine. Right. I come back and, um, I, there's a little stairwell that those, not stairwell. It's like, like six, seven steps that lead to the floor where we're at because it's, it's a, um, it's a multi-purpose, um, venue that does volleyball and basketball. So it has like that sport court flooring, you know, what I'm talking about like that rubberized flooring. Uh, so like, it's, it's definitely meant for like that or soccer or whatever. Um, I'm coming back and walking down these little steps going onto the floor and there is a large amount of blood on the floor, like oh. just splattered all over the place. And I'm walking back with like some, like some white claws. And I look down and I'm like, Oh, well, that's interesting. And I go back to my wife and I go to like, talk to her for a second. She's like, she's like, you missed everything. And I'm like, Oh, okay. And evidently the match spilled out and then somebody did a dive and somebody got clocked in the face and there was blood all over. And the thing is the, like I've been to these AIW shows before and I know blood, like blood spills and it happens and it, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm not saying blood spilling is a lot of fun, but these matches get out of control. It's a good time. But I just want to tell you that the part about it that cracked me up was that when I walked back and I saw blood all over the place, I didn't think twice about it. Like my first instinct was, oh, the wrestling match got out, ma- match got out of control as opposed to somebody's dead. <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, like if it was a movie theater and you'd gone yeah. out to use the restroom and come back and yeah. it was just like, blood. If, I, like if, if Mary and I, we went to go bingo and I come back, I'm like, why is all this blood on the floor? Like, it would just be like, it would be like very off putting and scary. But the fact that it's like, I've been to these shows before and sometimes it happens. I honestly did not think twice. I was like, Oh, there must've just been a spot here where things got sideways. And it's like in the year 2022, where we're dealing with so much random violence in our country that my first thought was we're fine. As opposed to, I got to grab my wife and get out of here. Tells you well, all you need to know about, I knew what kind of wrestling show I was going to. <laughs> like, so I thought you'd appreciate that. Cause like, I didn't even bat an eye. I'm like, cause it was like a bunch of blood. And then there was a random Marco's pizza box off to the side. And I'm like, I don't know what happened to that pizza, but something bad happened here. And then once the show was over, uh, the gentleman who lost that blood, I was walking up to do something else. And I saw him and I was like, I was like, dude, are you okay? He's like, yeah, I'm fine. I was like, do you need like a cookie? Cause you lost a lot of blood. He's like, I'll be okay. And I'm like, all right fine. I, I just want to make sure you have enough glucose, you know, <laughs> you know in your system. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I do want to ask, you know, in, in those regards, is it okay? So again, I do not have the knowledge that, uh, you or probably most of our listeners have of the inner working of the wrestling world. But, you know, for instance, if you've seen the movie, the wrestler, you know, there's that great scene where they're like, going down like oh well you know how about uh, the staple gun uh, you know I'll, I'll hit you with a staple gun a couple times or uh, I think at one point it's like um, like oven cleaner and, yeah, and then, it was like like blading and they're talking about like the setup yeah. of the violence to come yeah so how much of it was oh this was a wrestling match that and I don't want to say like a stunt gone wrong but like oh maybe something more happened than was intended or you think that it was really like oh you know it was part of the show. So the, the, what you're asking is there, there's something called a work or a shoot, right? Uh, a, a work is they know what they're doing to screw with the audience. And the shoot is this is unscripted. And the, the people involved are like 
just going off script, right? I think that's mm-hmm. what you're asking. And I'm going to think that with, with the people that were involved in the match and knowing like how hard they go, they knew that blood was going to get spilled. They, I mean, maybe not to the degree or if it was that particular spot, they knew this was going to be the one that was going to be the brutal match of the night. And that's what happens sometimes, right? Like it's just not, not like, not sometimes like it's planned in advance and like, um, yeah, the people involved doesn't surprise me one bit that the red stuff got like tossed out. Right. So, uh, that's why, like, especially when I came back, like I was telling my wife, I was like, if this has been my first ever wrestling show and I missed this, I'd be mad. And I mean, by wrestling show, I mean, independent wrestling show. And it's like, cause you know, they're the, you know, smaller, you know, smaller promotion like that, you know, they have to do a different style, whatever. Right. If this right. was like, if I would have been like, Oh, Oh shit. People jumped around and bled all over the place. And I missed it. I'd have been mad, but I'm like, this is like, you know, like I've, I've been to like, what, like eight, nine, 10 shows. And I'm like, yeah, this is what, ha-. like, it's almost like, Oh, here comes the blood match. <laughs> you know, like it's, mm-hmm. it's what's going to happen. And then, so the other thing I want to mention too, real quick about the, this, this, uh, this, um, show I went to is that, um, the crowd gets a little rowdy and they'll start chanting things that are, you know, appropriate, inappropriate. And there was a bit though, uh, earlier in the night where something was going on and there was like something that got spilled in the ring and, uh, somebody brought a broom out. Like one of the refs started like sweeping in the ring. And so I just started yelling real loud, sweep, sweep, sweep. And then people started chanting it. Uh, and it made me really happy that I got to start a chant for the second time at one of these shows for the guy sweeping the ring. So I don't know why, cause I started just, I, you know, for me, it's like, I'll yell things. And it's like, it will be like, like, I will say the dumbest thing. Like there was, um, a, a group of tag team wrestlers called nine to five and they wore like khakis and shirts and ties. Cause they're supposed mm-hmm. to be business guys. And at one point I just yelled out, someone call HR. Like I just yelled that out real loud during the match. Um, <laughs> you know, like it's just, you know, whatever it was a good, it's a good time. Steve, I'm begging you. Like if it, like, I need to get you to a live show. It's so much fun. That That's you yeah. Know, you yeah. need to, cause it'll come up on your radar. So yes. if there's something coming up and you're like, Hey man, I'm going to get tickets to this. Yes. Do you want to go, please, you know, hit me up and and ask. Yeah, I need uh, to find one that's going to be closer, maybe closer to the neck of the woods your way. But yeah, it's so much fun. So anyway, a uh, second story real quick. So on Monday I was off. Um, and I'm like, you know what? Cause Sunday night I'm like, yeah, you know, I was thinking about what I got to do. I'm like, you know, I'm going to go, I'm going to get some tickets for Wakanda forever. It's Monday. Nobody's going to be around. It's going to be good. So I bought tickets, bought my seat and then picked my seat out. And it was like uh, the next morning I just double checked. I'm like, okay, it's morning, morning show, like 1030. I'm like, cool. We'll check again. Nobody had bought seats. Right. And I'm like, okay, sweet. And I'm like, why is this ticket so expensive? And it was like the three, three D X, the XD super sound like thing. Right. And I'm like, Oh, this is going to be amazing. Get up early drive there to the theater, get out of my car. And I'm like, huh, there's no other cars in the parking lot. And uh. I, and I, um, I check my ticket PM instead of AM. No. So, um, I had all the intents in the world to go see Wakanda forever, but my ticket was for Monday, 10 30 at night, as opposed to uh, AM in the morning. So I, um, I canceled, I canceled my ticket cause I'm like, I, I'm not going to come back. I mean, I want to see the movie, right. But I'm like, I can't do that. Um, but so instead I decided to watch memoirs of invisible man on Monday. So I think even trade. Yes. Yes, definitely. <laughs> uh, 
Dude, I can't tell you how excited I was that night. I'd be like, oh, I get to choose my seat. And then in the morning, I'm like, did anybody else buy seats? Nobody did. This is going to be amazing. And then I drove out there and I'm like, oh, this is going to be so good. And I'm like, and I actually got out of my car and started walking towards the theater. I'm like, there is literally no one here. <laughs> I was like, all right. I was like, all right. I guess, I guess that's not happening. And I texted my, my wife, Barry. He's like, hey, PM, uh, not, so it's like PM, not AM, you know. Don't. So, yeah. I I, I apologize because I'm going to go off on a tangent here, but it reminds me, and I haven't revisited it in a very, very, very long time. I even bought some episodes on DVD and just haven't gotten around to watching them. But uh, there was a show on Comedy Central in the 90s that was animated called Dr. Katz. And the uh, premise of Dr. Katz was as he was a therapist and all of his, uh, his patients were comedians. And there was a, a, a bit about Stephen Wright not knowing as a child which 12 to eat at. And it, it cuts to like him. It's like it's him eating a sandwich in the dark and his parents coming in and being like, no, 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 Stephen, lunch is at the other 12. And I just. <laughs> That's pretty much what happened to me. I think I think this is the second time I've done this, too. Like, and I'm just like, because I'm just like, so then I started looking around for like other showtimes. I'm like, ah one o'clock one something i'm like yeah but i'm like but i'm gonna drive home and then i'm not gonna want to leave you can relate to that right you're like well i'm yeah. already out i'm like if they're like because i was looking at other theaters in the area i'm like well if there's one like within like 45 50 minutes like showtime wise i'll do that but like nothing was working and i'm like eh, i'll go home <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you how I was excited, how excited I was waking up. Like, oh, 1030 Wakanda forever. It's going to be great. Nobody in the theater. Cause well, Paul, there's a good reason nobody's in the theater, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. well, maybe you should check it this weekend. Uh, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe you'll, you'll do better. Uh, if you, if you pick, uh, well, you know what, actually you've probably got at least a good solid three or four more weeks to check it out in the theater. Cause you saw, um, Shang Chi, like really but, late in its run. Yeah, I saw it like the last day it was in the theater, and that film okay. didn't. That film isn't performing as well as this, you know. So like, yeah. I, you know, I mean, you know, it isn't like. I mean, I'm sure I could. Uh, I could probably like with the theater closed, I could have probably been like, "Can I watch Black Adam?" And they'll be like, "Okay, thank you." And they probably just let me like turn on the theater myself, like flipped on the projector to watch it. Right. Like, <laughs> like, you know, you'll probably still be able to see black Panther in January and it's November 30th. So that's maybe that's I'm wrong, but I thought that, you'd but. appreciate my inability to tell what 12 to eat uh, sandwiches at. So, yeah, that sounds like, I, cause I was expecting you to hit me with a story about some asshole who got the seat right next to you, even though it's an open theater and then just chewed and ate popcorn in your ear the entire time and laughed like they were in Cape Fear. Uh, that's what I was expecting. No, they, they laugh like they're Ray Liotta and like Goodfellas or whatever, just, you know, <laughs> just, just guffawing in my ear, right? No, um, no, but just my inability to read time and nighttime. Like, because that night before, I'm like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. I'm like, sweet, 1030. Just, you know, pro tip, everybody. There's two 1030s in a day. Go, just remember. So, all right. Anyway, just remember the lunch is at the other noon or at the other 12. <laughs> all right. Yeah. That's why that's the, the two things I wanted to mention. One is, uh, I, I saw blood and didn't think twice about it and I can't tell time. So that's the two things to take away from my, my, my holiday weekend. Right. So, um, yeah. And I'm sure that all of our listeners are like, 
I don't want to hear about this. Can't you guys get to Memoirs of an Invisible Man? I'm sure that you guys have real interesting takes. So Yeah, right. Everybody's like, listen, just get past all this. All this bullshit. Right? So <laughs> <laughs> all right. So yeah. Uh, let's just let's just get into it. We're gonna get into that. Our year of Carpenter an hour and seven minutes later. Uh, we're gonna be talking about uh 1992's uh memoirs of Invisible Man. Before we get to that though. We got it. We got to play that trailer with some of this upbeat music. It all started on a Tuesday in March. If George hadn't introduced me to Alice, let's not do anything cheap and meaningless. Okay, what do I owe you? And she hadn't been so spectacular. Maybe I wouldn't have gotten so loaded that night. In Ten minutes. I'll be as good as new. And none of this would have happened. Something's happened at the Magnoscopics facility in Santa Miro. Next thing I knew, I went from high profile to no profile. What have they done to me? Wait a minute, who are you guys? Keep your mouths shut, all of you. You're in a state of molecular flux. If you want to live, you're going to have to trust us. Where have you been? Everybody's looking for you. I'm here. Sort of. I want my molecules back! Now there's a price on my head. The single most exotic intelligence asset on the planet is ours. I don't sleep well. I can see through my eyelids, I can see through the top of my head. But I'll never sell out. Think of the adventure we could have together. Yeah, we can go to Frontierland. Don't be afraid. It's me, Nick. You want to sit down? If not for Alice... We're the only people that can give you your life back. I'd be lost forever. You have a face again. You don't have any body makeup, do you? Dropped about 10 pounds. But I'd look great naked. She saw me through it all. I got him. Nick, I love you. Chevy Chase. Morning. Morning. Daryl Hannah. Wait, how am I going to tell my mom about this? Just tell her you met a guy. Could be serious. He's transparent. Memoirs of an Invisible Man. A John Carpenter film. <laughs> I like it the very end. It's like, by the way, it's a John Carpenter film. Don't, don't <laughs> tell anybody. Like, especially, like, he doesn't want people to know. So, um, yeah, 1982's uh, Memoirs of Invisible Man. Um, and <clears throat> let's get into who did what here. Directed by John Carpenter. Uh, writing credits are H.F. Saint. We'll talk about that more in a second. Uh, screenplay by Robert Collector, Dan Olson, and William Goldman. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm, I'm getting really choked up here. We have uh, Chevy Chase, uh, Daryl Hannah, Sam Neill, uh, Michael McKeon, Stephen Toblowski. I always mess up his name. Uh, Jim Norton. And then we have an early appearance by uh, Patricia Eaton in this. And also Donald Lee, who is like your one uh, carpenter holdover uh, from Big Trouble in Little China. So I'm going to put this to you, Steve. Uh, had you seen this movie previously? I had not. And I'll just say that the only other carpenter holdover that i caught that's not technically a uh, like a person or a character is the uh mention of santa mira which is where halloween 3 takes place well they also mentioned bodega bay too briefly if you i don't know if you noticed that or not no that i must have missed yeah because it was a bit where daryl Hannah's character was like like running on the beach and i think michael mckeon's like did she go to bodega bay and i'm like <laughs> so um so yeah that that so you're not seeing this film previously um so I was going to say, what's your familiarity with this? Which is yesterday you watched this for the first time. So, yeah. well, here, let me just say this. Like, 
this is one of those movies, um, and I don't want to spoil a future John Carpenter episode by talking about this movie specifically, but this and uh, In the Mouth of Madness was a movie that I had heard disparaging things said about at the time that they came out. Like, I don't know anybody who talked about this movie positively when it came out, and I can't think of anybody specifically because I would have been in high school at that time. Uh, but I don't know anybody who saw this movie. I don't know anybody who had at that time given any sort of positive like, oh, we went and saw Memoirs of Invisible Man and it was amazing. You know, this wasn't the I think this is the same year as like Terminator 2. You know, everybody was talking about that. No one was talking about this, at least in my specific realm. It's just one of those movies that I kind of forgot about until it came up within our discussion of like, let's do a year of John Carpenter. So that's really my experience with it up until yesterday. Fair enough. So I had seen this film previously. I can't tell you how. It must have been on cable uh, growing up because um, there's bits and pieces of this movie I do remember, but it wasn't something that was like burned in my memory. And in growing up, I didn't realize it was a Carpenter film. Like, and it's mm-hmm. one of those things that's just like, oh, yeah. And I think it's because of, uh, we've mentioned it previously, the El Goro, he did his, uh, he did his rounding out of all the Carpenter films on his uh, Talk Without Rhythm podcast. And that's when he covered it. I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah, that was one of them, wasn't it? Which was, which is going to be a recurring theme while I talk about this film. So uh, let's get into, let me give a little bit of background before we get into the talking about the film proper. Well, I mean, unless we want to give the synopsis, is that um, a stockbroker guy that is uh, Nick. Holloway, played by uh, Chevy Chase, is kind of a forgettable guy um, and ends up uh, going to a building and because he's hung over um, to attend like a science meeting. Well, he's hung over. Let, let me rewind. He met he met a hot girl and they, they didn't have sex that night. So he got blackout drunk that night because of it. And he blames her for everything that happened. <laughs> you notice that? He's like, maybe it's her fault. I'm like, you could have went home after... <clears throat> You know what I mean? Like it's just like anyway. Yeah, I didn't take I didn't take that away from it. Uh, I guess I didn't consider it in that light. And I'll admit the idea of uh, guy meets amazing woman, not ends up not spending the night with her, but stays at the bar, and then hijinks ensue because he's got a hangover the following morning. Morning, I get that. That's not a bad comedy, you know, premise, if you will, but. The thing that struck me is, and and I don't know, uh, yeah, he's a stockbroker, and there was a joke about the fact that like he's he does just enough work to get by in the sense that nobody's going to fire him because they think he's on top of things, but he does just enough to do to just get by. Basically, is is the best way of putting it, uh, which I think a lot of us probably can relate to uh, in if we've ever had jobs where we just don't care about the outcome, kind of thing, which is what I get from this character. But I could not tell you specifically, like, why he was going to that place other than we know he's going there because he promised somebody who's going to be out that he would go and visit this place. But I still don't understand why he would need to be there or how that played into yeah. what his job is. Yeah. And so he ends up this building. Um, there's like this big science presentation. He's hung over and decides that he needs to go like uh, like. <laughs> Basically, he's just trying to find a bathroom to take five in. But then he asks one question um, with this lab that is easily seen by anybody walking by. And he's asked, where's the where's the bathroom at? And somebody stands up and because of a overturned cup of coffee, um, the world goes to hell. And 
I think I think Carpenter does a good job of just showing like the Rube Goldberg like device of everything falling apart, of everything going on in that in that little lab. But can I just say that as much as we might have our feelings about Nick as as a main character, um, if somebody said to me, "Hey, Paul, you got hungover and you're just trying to find a place to lay down, and you caused a building to like." Um, kind of detonate and become invisible and become like this big science aberration. I'd be like, that tracks that really tracks like me, me not caring and being hung over would probably lead to something like there's the, the deleted scene in Chernobyl where it's just me pressing buttons by accident. Cause I'm just looking, I'm just looking for like aspirin and like club crackers. Right. So, well, I, yeah. I'll just say this, you know, the, the one bad day scenario, if you will, the, the thing that kicks all of them, the rest of the movie into uh, motion. It's not a scenario that I would disagree with or even say like, Oh, I don't think that that's used very well here or it's a cliche or whatever. The things that don't hold up for me, particularly, and I know that this is kind of a staple of the time, uh, but I think it's much worse here uh, where the female lead is pretty much one note and only there to serve uh, as the interest for the lead but also their relation goes from zero to 90 to like a thousand yeah. uh, within uh, 90 minutes. And you're like, wow, wait, what? Like, yeah, I was it, just, to- it doesn't make any sense. I agree with yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so that yeah, yeah. doesn't hold up as well for me as the, uh, you know, getting drunk and stumbling into uh, a bad day the following day. I like, so I, I like the idea that you're like, you know what? The whole idea that this, this uh, building could cause a situation in which, um, most of it gets partially um, turned invisible because of an accident, including Chevy Chase's character. And then eventually the whole building goes invisible. That's more believable to you than the chemistry between Chevy Chase and Daryl Hannah. And I agree with you. Like, I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chevy Chase, and I, I know we're going to probably talk at length about him. Yeah. So before uh, we get into him, let me, can, let, let's, uh, let's be good podcast people. And say mm-hmm. that once Nick realizes he's invisible, it, it's he become he comes on he is on the run from Sam Neill's character, who's like a government agent who has no problem killing people to cover shit up, but realizes this invisible man could be a great intelligence asset. So we have Nick trying to figure out what's going on, Sam Neill chasing him down, and then him also like uh, Chevy Chase, be, excuse me, being horny for Daryl Hannah's character of. Whatever her name was, it's not important. I feel bad for saying that, but it's not important. Um, and then in the meantime, he also her character uh, was Alice Monroe. I know. I just it, I could have clicked on the tab, but um, there's also a bit where um, we end up having an extended sequence where Chevy Chase stays at a beach house and orders a bunch of liquor and um, tries to get his life straight. It get, it's a really weird movie. Like it's a really weird uh, the the uh, momentum in this whiplash is back and forth. So yeah, it ain't easy being invisible. So yeah, Chevy Chase. Where were you going with that? So the the reason that I, I brought it up was is because you mentioned not having chemistry with Daryl Hannah, and I would argue that Chevy Chase is a and I, I, let me let me take that back because I don't want to make it just about chemistry, but like Chevy Chase is a, is an actor, he has a sweet spot, and I don't think that we get to see very much range with him, but he's also somebody who's like, well, this has worked for you know how long I'm going to stick with it. Uh, because it's it's worked for a very long time. I feel like going into this movie, one, he's almost 50. Because uh, I looked up his age and I was like, how old is he? Because 
This is three years after uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, which is, I don't know, you guys can come at me if you're wrong, if I'm wrong. And there is a movie that was made about, uh, or that was made with Burt Reynolds before he passed, uh, where Chevy Chase is in that movie for a brief moment and has a, a great part in it. But like, if I'm thinking of performances and taking community out of the equation and things like that, Christmas Vacation for me is the last time Chevy Chase makes a hit movie. And I don't know if numbers can support that or not, but in my brain, like that's where his career kind of dips off. Um, with that in mind, he's not the guy who I think should be going after Daryl Hannah in this movie. And Mary, and I didn't look up Daryl Hannah's age, mind you, to look it up, but uh, Chevy Chase, I think, is a year away from 50 at this point during this movie. And I'm like, Already, I don't buy him as the guy that he was 10 years ago and made believable. Um, because I think that that's the other thing is, is that this character that he set up here is desperately trying to be, whether it be his character in Caddyshack or the character in, uh, the character in, the character of Fletch, uh, which that was something else that we watched this weekend I didn't get to. Fletch Confess, John Hamm, great, go watch it. Uh, I left that out of my weekend talk, but Chevy Chase is specific specifically as an actor. I feel like has a range. And I think that that's something that uh, our limited range, I guess, in the way that he is the performances that he crafts, because it becomes a problem with Dan Harmon later on, because he doesn't quite understand that he's no longer the guy who's sexy in Caddyshack in funny and, you know, he's the guy who's not hip and with it anymore. He's the joke at that point in community. Yeah, I know that Chevy Chase as an actor from what I've read from Dan Harbour struck, struggled with that. I feel like the performance he gives here is very much in line with, well, I'm just going to do Fletch all over again, but he turns invisible in this movie. <laughs> Did you get that feeling from the way he played that character? And I know I jumped all over the place. But I had a whole bunch of thoughts just jump into my head, and that's what happens when you turn it over to me and I just vomit information. But for me, I feel like well, I he saw thought the, he was so, doing flat. So, Steve, I saw that information enter your stomach and then swirl around, and then I saw it exit your stomach and get vomited. Like, because I don't know, I'm making a joke about the special effects later. But anyway, so let me, before I get to that statement, let me give you a little bit of like a little bit of history. This right? is why you're a far better podcaster than I, than bullshit. I am. I just threw like 86 things out. Bullshit, 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 like, bullshit, bullshit, like, bullshit, bullshit. Let's focus the conversation into one thing, Steve. All the bullshit. Anyway, so yeah, me, me. I, I am... Like what? 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 Uh, what is that? I ref I think I referred to my previous, my most recent appearance on uh, Talk Without Rhythm as a uh, uh, pinball buffoonery. So I, 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 I wear that mantle, um, I guess, with pride now. Anyway, so let let's get a little background, and then we'll get into Chevy Chase. And I think when I give you my opinion of his performance, let me give you a little bit of background of what he wanted out of this film, and then you tell me how you how you feel about how that came across. How about that? All right. I, I just want to say real quick, my main two points that I danced around were that one, he's a little bit too old to be playing this character, at least in this regard where he's romancing Daryl Hannah, but also that it, uh, he's just basically trying to do Fletch as the invisible, invisible man. So yeah. that's where I was trying to go with that. So my apologies. No, fair enough. No. So, all right. So here we go. So this is coming from the book that's smarter than me. I saw in the system, the nonconformer cinema of John Carpenter. I've mentioned this every time we've covered uh, his films. It's from uh, Troy Howarth. 
an amazing, amazing resource. So, all right. So first thing I want to do here is after we got past the two films produced by, or produced by alive, we talked about Prince of darkness and, um, um, they live. Uh, so this was the first, there was a period here. So in the early nineties, Carpenter actually didn't have any clear cut films he was working on, but this is when he actually, um, got married for, um, the third time or the second time, uh, to Sandy King who was a script supervisor that worked with him on the previous films of um, Prince of Darkness and uh, They Live. So he's in a good spot, but he's also trying to figure out like what he wants to do. Uh, but this is this is the partner that he is he's still with, right? So he described her as uh, the love of my life, producer, wife, everything associated with being in love with somebody. So good on him. He figured it out. And I just want to mention here that they would go on to make a company called Storm King Productions that would actually end up being very, very productive. So there's a lot of things they did there. There's some money there. So I don't know what all Storm King Productions have done. Didn't get into that. But they have successful uh, marriage and um, partnership. And also they want to make sure that she also is passionate about producing his works. So I thought I wanted to mention that. Next thing I want to bring in here is Harry F. Saint, the person that wrote um, the, the short story that became the book that his, this movie we're talking about, you'll, you, I think you'll find this entertaining. Uh, Harry F. Saint, uh, he was a, like, he was a stockbroker. Surprise, surprise. He was a businessman. Uh, he met with some resistance early when he was trying to get his short story memoirs invisibly and published, but he ended up getting it purchased for $5,000 at the time. And, you know, it's like considering that's the only short story he ever published $5,000 for getting it published is pretty great. So everybody I have, give me $5,000. I'll give you a short story. Right. So then once he started making this into a book, into like a full length novel, it, this story started traveling around Hollywood as being like one of those things to maybe this would be a cool working script. Chevy Chase saw this and was interested and the film rights got snapped up for $2.5 million. Um, and, um, uh, the agent for, um, Harry F. Sate described, uh, it as like winning the lottery, except you're winning it for something you've already written, which I think is funny. Like, Oh mm -hmm. yeah, you only over, you ever only wrote one book and we're going to pay you multiple times for it. And <laughs> congratulations. It's the only book this guy ever wrote. Uh, so well, then it's very in line yes. with how Carpenter Carpenter feels about Halloween. Like he, he's he yeah. very uh, openly says like, I love it whenever a, a check lands in my hands yeah. for me doing nothing because I wrote Halloween 40 years ago. Yeah. Right. So, um, so then what happened was Chevy chase actually here, it says here, I'll read this word for word. It's worth noting incidentally that this all transpired before the book was released. Uh, chase had actually been had access to a, a galley form of it and was immediately fi immediately fired up his imagination. The book was a marvelous one. I wanted to replicate the book as best I could. That's what he said. After the project was success successfully acquired in July of 86, the book was released in the spring of 87. It was a bestseller that drew very strong reviews. Um, and then it said, Saint never wrote another novel. Well, no shit. Good on you. Right? So Chevy Chase immediately started to oversee the project, which he hoped would help him transition from a comedy star to a more serious leading man. So think about this. This is four years before this film actually gets made. So... Uh, because of the success that he kept bringing at the box office, um, Warner Brothers was actually considering this like a pet project for him. This was like his thank you project for as much money they made for him. So it was his baby. And because of his stand box office standing at the time, he was given free reign by Warner's to proceed as he saw fit. So um, you talk about his successes up to this point. He was, he was gold up until 
the film before this that he was a part of was Nothing But Trouble. But that wasn't his. That was Dan Aykroyd's. But before that, he had hit after hit after hit. So I think that that's I, I know what you're talking about. You're in line with your statement there. So then uh, Jason, his producing partner, Bodner, decided to try for a, a director well-versed in special effects movies. Um, they first approached Richard Donner to make the movie. So I don't know if you knew that or not. Interesting, right? No, I didn't. And I saw that, and you're probably going to bring this up next, that Ivan Reitman at one point was going to be the director. So I didn't know that this had passed through either of their hands until just recently. Yeah, but like Donner couldn't figure out, like he couldn't get straight in his mind about how they wanted um, Chase's character to appear. Like, do you see him sometimes? Do you see him not? He just never could work out like how it was supposed to approach visually. So he dropped it and Reitman walked away quickly um, because of uh, Chevy Chase. So, but the other thing I want to bring up here is that, um, so this is a quote from Chevy Chase at the time. Uh, cause everybody kept walking away from it. Surprise, surprise. Uh, he's like, I don't know how it happened, but John Carpenter's name came up and I jumped at it. I said, this is exactly who we want. So chase was actually on board to begin with. And then later on the executives at Warner, here's the quote, the executive Warners were not easily convinced. And then later it says, how much gore is there going to be in this film? Was their question. Think about Warners. They're like, they can't even give Carpenter like a chance again. Right. They're like, how much gore is going to be in it? Like, just calm your, calm your butt. Right. Anyway. Well, so, it's, yeah. that's weird. Cause he'd made Starman at that right. point. And I, yes. I don't. Yeah. You're right. I that, mean, if yeah. you take the thing out of the equation, I don't think anything that he did was especially gory. I, I wouldn't apply that to any of his other movies. Like, uh, and I don't even think the thing is gory, but it's the one that's most like visually in, intense in that regard. So yeah, Christ, it just shows you that 10 the pe- years later at that point, too. Like. <laughs> right. And he actually, but like also to consider like as much as like, you know, there are a little goopy, goopy moments in Prince of Darkness and some weird alien stuff and they live. It's like he, he showed you like, look at him in the, in the micro, like, like $2 million budget makes a profit. Like he's shown he can actually, and then you mentioned Starman, that actually was like his last big budget hit. Right. It's like just anyway, like I also feel like, Carpenter's a guy who is a victim of the studio system, never quite understanding what he was capable of doing, but also like, I just, I also, whenever he gets an opportunity, there, there always seems to be something that messes it up. And it's not because it like, he's always been Carpenter. He's never changed who he was, right? That's the Mm -hmm. vibe I get from this. It's like, you know, who you're hiring and then you get mad when it doesn't perform well because you didn't like, listen to that trailer. We just listened to the total that's all over the place. And that's going to be the problem with this movie is that it can't find a tone. So, um, let me, let me go a little further here. Um, sure. Yeah. So, but, but Chevy was insistent. I directed this movie because of him. He championed me. And then that's the quote from Carpenter. It says, unfortunately, their working relationship was destined to not remain so supportive. Carpenter wanted to do something a bit lighter than usual. Something more akin to a comic suspense film like North by Northwest. Chase wanted to use the film to test his dramatic chops and also to hopefully establish himself as a viable romantic lead. So Steve, your assessment of this film is not wrong because that's what he was trying to do. So like, look at you with your Steve radar, your Chevy chase radar. (laughs) I suppose, but it's, it's odd that he's trying to become a leading man by doing the things that he's already done. That's what seems odd to me. I don't, I don't feel like Chevy Chase showed us anything other than being Chevy Chase in this. And I, 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 
was maybe a little harsh earlier when I said, you know, that he didn't really have a range because he is damn good at what he does. But I, I, I don't think that I got anything out of his performance that I hadn't seen in anything else that he'd already done. Yeah. And I hate to put it that way. Well, no, no, no. So I'll give you two examples here and they're very, well, actually three. One you mentioned earlier in the episode about one hour photo. Rob Williams was able to actually figure out drama. Right. So that, I think that's, and the guy could be like a goofball and like a, a bouncy ball all over the place and eat up all the scenery, but also knew like, what would it take to be dramatic? I don't get the vibe from chase with this. I'd also say like Jim Carrey figured it out. And I'm also going to say Adam Sandler, like uh, uncut gems is an amazing film and he's really good as the center of that movie, you know, like, and I'm and, and like, I didn't know I was going to go into like praising Adam Sandler tonight, but that's what here we're at. Here we are. Um, I, you know, and I like in speaking to the problems that chase had on community with Dan Harmon, like that show would veer between like gut bustingly funny to be like, Oh my God, I do have feels. And the character of Pierce Hawthorne, there's times where he was a very sympathetic character, but I think it took, it took him like, <laughs> it, it took a lot of people to get him to be sympathetic. You know, you, does that make sense? Yeah. And I, <laughs> I, I hate I hate when we do this because I'm like oh, I have like eight things that I want to say, but you know I don't begrudge begrudge is not the right word, but you know I I, I don't mean to pigeonhole him in that regard that I'm like oh he couldn't do these other things, but from watching the film it just felt very much like he was doing what he'd always done and then like well I'm a leading man you know if you think about leading men at that time. You know, I don't know who, you know, 1992, you're probably looking at like Mel Gibson. Harrison you know, Ford. Really, yeah. Yeah. You're Harrison Ford's uh, Mel Gibson's, you know, guys who are doing both heightened quote unquote drama, if you will, not heightened, but uh, pseudo drama. I, I don't know how to put it, but they're, they're, they're doing roles that are both action oriented, but also, you know, uh, can, well, I think I think actually Mel Gibson, the, Mel yeah. Gibson, all problems aside, which we're talking like Chevy Chase problems aside, I think not that this would have been perfect for him, but like I think he could have managed the dramatic and the the comedy better because I think he's capable of doing so as a leading man, right? Because we even saw he you know he kind of struck that balance early, right? And he's able to do it with Chevy. It's like I think like it's almost I would almost say that this project came too early. Because audiences, I don't think we're ready for like a comedy that also has like a gut punch to it. And I think mm. that's what he, I think he needed that gut punch and there really isn't that there. And like, like now, I don't know who would have handled this material later and better, but like, you know, I think there's that, um, what am I, what am I trying to say here? Like, um, like Adam McKay or, um, oh, what's his name? Um, uh, Jesus Christ, the 40 year old virgin director. Um, um, let's see here. Where is it at? Um, not Paul Feig. Um, no, it is, um, Judd Apatow. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So do you like, I think something like this, like there was the potential, I'm not saying this in particular, but that I, I think not that I can be in the Maya Chevy chase. Cause I'm going to guess it's probably kind of racist, uh, but um, <laughs> I don't know, kind of hateful and kind of racist. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, that I think that's the kind of tone he was probably going for. 
but Carpenter, that was like he when he whenever I saw here that he won something like North by Northwest, perfect. Like that's what this film should have been. And it's funny that he's like not funny, haha. But like, oh, I have this like well known, like you know, comedic talent that has a little bit of range. Like what it like. I could easily see Chevy Chase having that kind of same, same kind of schmarm as Cary Grant, but Chase didn't want that. And that's, that's confusing to me. And here's, I guess the point that I was trying to make earlier, cause I couldn't get around the words, but when I brought up Mel Gibson and you brought up Harrison Ford, I think thinking of them and that at that time in, as leading men, you know, they could do action films, but they could also, do these dramas that were uh, like, for instance, I think Mel Gibson is in always uh, at this time at the yeah. same time that he's doing like lethal weapon. Like there's a balance of like your leading man can probably headline these two things, you know, uh, neither one of them ever really veering off into like straight up satire or comedic places. But as far as like being a leading man, if it was an action film or a drama, and you got Mel Gibson or Harrison Ford, you were like, well, let's start celebrating now because they're going to bring in the box office totals. I don't think, I don't think that that's one. I think that that's a detriment to chase in the sense of, you know, trying to live up to that. So I don't, I don't want to make it sound like, Oh, you know, both the other two have such further range, but you know, that's what he would have needed to be at that time to be a leading man. And I don't think that that's in his wheelhouse, but there's no sense of drama in this at all. Like it's. Yeah, I think I think he would have been capable of doing it if somebody could have told him no. You know, like I think that's where because like it's just he was so full of himself. And there's a story in this in the book I didn't highlight where. Um, somebody was supposed to be like, a, like, a, like a, a assistant to the assistant director or whatever. And they, and they said, well, what's my job? And they're like, um, stop all the cockroaches that want to run up to, uh, Chevy and ask for like autographs. Cause he's basically saying, keep all the background extras like in line. So he's not bothered. And mm. so somebody started like walking towards Chevy chase with like a clipboard and this assistant like tackled the guy. Cause he didn't know what else to do. Oh my and, God. But it turned out because the guy was being like, you know, like I got to talk to Chevy. And so he's like, I can't like, I can't let you do that. It turned out to be his producing partner, this guy named Bodnar. And like, um, once they figured out what was going on, Bodnar was like, Oh, I get it. I understand. It's completely fine. Chevy's like fire this kid immediately. And like, and so the carpenter is like, nah, just comp, like, just hire the kid back, pay him double. Like, we'll just move on. And so like, the whole thing is like, Chevy was just off like offended that like somebody was like trying to be told, like somebody was doing the job they were told to do to keep people away from him. Unless mm -hmm. it was that one guy that like, that the person didn't know. Right. right. And so this person, like, so the, the, the quote later on the book was like, yeah, after that, I decided I really didn't want to do that job because I didn't want to squish cockroaches. And like, he, he never, they never aspired to do anything in that type of role ever again because of that run in, you know, cause that's where like chase the just diva. Right. I, I mean, that's probably not fair to divas. Right. But that's where chase, like he was unassailable at this point. He was, he was a dick. Everyone knew he was a dick. And like, but the fact is he made money. So the fact that he brought in bank, everyone was willing to overlook his dickish tendencies until nothing but trouble and until this movie. Right. So, but that's where he's at. And, um, like, I, I think, I think if like, 
if he would have gotten over himself a little bit and actually had an honest conversation, I, you know, I think he's capable of doing it, but not at this time. Clearly. Well, I agree with you on that. Yeah. And it's, I don't know if it is just falling victim to the success that he's already had or not, but, uh, I, I keep wanting to go back to this as just Fletch, but he turns invisible. But the the and again, it's been a while since I've watched Fletch Lives. But um, you know, of the two Fletch films, Fletch the original is clearly the much better one. But like I remember in both of those performances, what was you know what made Fletch work was is that he had an amazing wit but also was the everyday guy or the every man, if you will, everyday guy. That's my new comic coming out uh, 2023 guys, everyday guy, check it out. Um, but the sequel of the science slasher, everyday guy. <laughs> uh, I just, I, I can't help, but think, you know, if his, if his point was to really become a leading man, I feel like he would have done it. At this point, you know, I, I, I get that he probably thought that, you know, maybe he he was going to, I don't know, make this a, a, a much bigger than it movie than it is. But I'm, I'm looking at the movies from that time and I guess like Spies Like Us is pretty big. I don't I feel like Three Amigos is finally remembered now, but I don't think it was that big of a hit at the time. I thought it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. But Okay. I, but I, he, I, he also, yeah. you know, he's you know, doing stuff like uh Funny Farm, which I don't remember that being a hit at all, or um Nothing But Trouble, which you previously mo- mentioned. So I'm I'm curious to know like you know how forgiving Hollywood was at that time. Was it that like you made us a whole bunch of money on this one movie or this series of movies. So we're still going to bank on you. But like, I I don't feel like his, his career was in an upswing at that point. And by any, um, you know, point of the, the, the wheel. I don't know what that means. Um, (laughs) So here, let me, let me put it this this way to you. I'm going to, I want to make a comment. I'm spiraling Paul. It's fine. So I'm, I want to say two things. One is, um, like, I think that if you're going to try to pivot to be a leading man, maybe not do like a sci-fi romantic comedy. Like, I think that might have been a poor choice because that's kind of what this is, right? Like, uh, and then two, um, second point here, I'm going to ask you based upon what we know about Carpenter and his budget size, what do you think the budget was for, for 1992? So you got You kind of got to scale it down a little bit considering that his previous two films are around like two to two and a half million dollars. What do you think the budget was on memoirs invisible man? Okay. So one, uh, I'm going to preface this by knowing that there are big stars in this at the time, but also the fact that watching it, there are things that are done in the movie that I'm sure were very easy practical effects that I'm like, wow, that's kind of cool that they did that. Um, The movie looks much better than I thought because as much as I love They Live, it is very much a, and I think I described it this way, it's an, a-level movie presentation of a B-movie. Um, but there's still enough of the special effects in that movie where I'm like, nah, I could see the seems a little bit. For even 1988, it's not the best. But, um, and I love They Live, so don't anybody take that as a criticism. With this, I was watching it, I'm like, wow, this looks better than I thought it would for the time. 
oh, that looks better than I thought it would for the time. The blowing bubblegum gag, I'm like, oh, I don't know how they did that, but it's kind of clever and funny, uh, which I don't even remember if that is actually in the movie or if it's in the trailer. No, it's, a, it's uh, the beginning of the movie, okay. yeah. Okay. Uh, but there are things that happen in this visually that I'm like, wow, this looks way better than I thought it was going to for the time that it was made. Uh, because this is like right before we start dipping into serious CGI territory. 1992 is when this comes out. 93 is when Jurassic Park hits and just sort of like hits like a landmine and the, the industry changes. So it's that pre, 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 pre CGI time where a lot of this is done optically. Um, I feel like they spent a lot of money on that is the point that I'm making. And, uh, I'm going to say $16 million was the budget. How much? 16. I just 16, guessed. uh, 40 for 1992. 40 Holy million. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Guys, in like three years prior to this, I, I don't know specifically off the top of my head of what the budget is, but the biggest movie of 1989 obviously is Batman, the, the Michael Keaton movie. I don't know that that had a, 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 a that high of a budget and, so, wow, they were really throwing money at this thing, if that's the case, is the point that I'm trying to make. Yeah, so this was the largest budget that uh, Carpenter ever actually had to work with, and part of it was because, well, you know, one, because the effects involved, which you just talked about, and two, because of the cast involved, right? So then, with that being said, you talk about how good this movie looks. Let me mention this here. So he actually got to work with, um, not only was ILM working on some of the effects, which we can talk about more of that in a second, uh, Lawrence G. Paul, um, he was the guy that designed the partially invisible office building. Uh, that was a practical effect, by the way. Think about wow. that. That's amazing. It was yeah. constructed on stage 16 at Warner's Burback Studios. The effect was achieved with steel cables, which created the appropriate illusion of things evidently being suspended in space. John was delighted with the end result and would recruit Paul to work with him again on Escape from L.A. That is, say, like, whatever, whatever you take away from this movie, that whole sequence of seeing the building be partially transparent, meaning like there's like this, this explosion happens. So there's like this like blast pattern that goes through the building. Um, it's amazing. Like it's, it's like your mind breaks looking at it. Cause it's like parts of the building are invisible. Some are not. And it's like, how do you, you like today's day and age? Like you'd be like, Oh, well that's just all a digital effect. That was practical. Think about that for a minute. That's amazing. Yeah. And you know, uh, I, I don't want to go too much into the, uh, I think it's 19, uh, I won't even guess the year, but it's somewhere in the 1930s, the original uh, Invisible Man uh, directed by James Whale. You know, there's things in that movie that at the time just blew people's, you know, hair back. There's like, I just, I don't, I don't know how mm -hmm. you're doing this optically. I will say for a movie that came out in 1982, I'm looking at these things and I'm like, I don't know how they're doing these things, knowing what I know about movies that were made at this time. Like I, I really am blown away by some of the effects in this movie. Not all of them, mind you. Like there's a clearly like floating head scene where I'm like, eh. <laughs> yeah, not great. Yeah, no, but the the but, practical set of the 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 partially visible office building is amazing. Like yeah, and I, that, yeah. But you know, there's even like small stuff, and it. it probably has to do probably with the actors interacting as, as well. But like Sam Neill is being drugged by yes. uh, Chevy chase away at the end and he's got a gun to his head, but I'm, I'm still like, I don't know how they did that. Like, is there like a band on 
you know, uh, Sam Neill's head that's got like the gun attached to it, like an old arrow gag. Like, I don't know how they're doing it because it's Sam Neill acting. And maybe well, I'm just so you're not even mentioning by... how his back is bent and his arm is twisted behind him and how much of that, like who, like, I don't know how they did that because he's walking at an angle and it's like, it, it clearly looks like Chase's character who is invisible is forcing him through these hallways or whatever. Like just the committed physicality that Sam Neill does. Um, there's a bit with the guy who's a drunk that we see him like this weekend's a Bur- weekend of Bernie shit going on earlier in the movie. Um, there's bits and pieces of this where it's like people have to bend in unusual ways that I'm mm-hmm. not sure how they did it. It was quite awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, the visual effects here, uh, they, they clearly got, you know, what they paid for in the sense that like they paid probably a lot for it. Uh, and it, it, it's reflected in the movie and, uh, and this will probably come into play as we go on later throughout uh, Carpenter's filmography. But I think it was Greg Nicotero who was talking about the fact that like John Carpenter isn't always the most patient on set when it comes to the special effects where the special effects guys will be working, working and he'll just be like, it's fine. I'm shooting it now. Just go. Let's do this. Uh, Cause he doesn't want them to tinker away too long. Um, I don't get that sense at all here. Like, I feel like the the special effects and the integration for them, uh, integration is not the right word, but the the way that they are implemented, implemented within the film uh, is really great. And there's also and this is a, this is a credit to Chevy Chase as well. There's a, a wonderful little montage of him walking down the street and like different things happening. And instead of filming it from the perspective of like he's actually invisible we're seeing everyone else around him just can't see him as he's doing these things. Like there's a mugger who uh, steals a purse and Chevy Chase stops the mugger and gives the purse back to the woman. And we do it all real times in the camera with, you know, Chase performing it. And it's just like the actors are acting like they can't see him. And I thought that was a really fun idea and a great way to sell the idea that he's invisible. I was wanting more of that type of thing within this film and, you know, the special effects are not um, there are moments within this film, like the one that I just described, that also sort of add to its charm. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to get to like, where do we fall in this movie? But that's probably where my disappointment lies is, is I can see that there was probably a very cool movie here at one point or at least one person trying to fight against a lot of different forces to make a very cool movie that got just beat down. So to piggyback off of that, let me, let me say two things here. One, in terms of, you said this film looks good. I mean, not, we're not just talking about the practical effects, the cinematography in this, like, uh, you know, like it, it looks like a Hollywood release, which we've talked about how Carpenter always punches above his, his weight in terms of budget and like cinematographers. But with this one, it's like it, this movie looks like this movie looks sharp. Like it looks like a triple a Hollywood release. So there's a reason for that. So, uh, the large budget allowed uh, him access to legendary cinematographer, uh, William a Fraker who had shot such films as Rosemary's baby and bullet. And, uh, John enjoyed working with him so much that he'd hoped to repeat the collaboration on future films. It didn't happen, but even so that experience was one of the few highlights he took from the inner, like the, the experience. Fair enough. This film looks really, really good. So I want to mention that also here, you talk about like 
parts of this film that could have shown through. There's another thing here that we don't consider is that uh, John was accustomed to being charged on set. It wasn't so much an ego thing as it was a practical necessity because he is the director, right? So then uh, Carpenter's limited control of the film is underlined by the lack of familiar names of the cast and crew. So yeah, he didn't have a lot of his familiar people around him just for like timing and budget reasons or just availability or the studio insisted or Chevy Chase insisted. So because of that, he didn't have that same like um, structure in place that people would have his back when it came to like decisions on set. Um, Chevy was basically like calling the shots a lot. And like Daryl Hannah also would not listen to a carpenter. So it's like, how do you, how do you uh, get this guy to be the director? But then people aren't going to listen to you. That's very, very frustrating. Right. So, but the one, the one relationship that came from this, well, there's a couple, but the big one was Sam Neill. Um, they, um, they became very friendly to the point to where Carpenter liked his performance enough in this and liked work with him enough. He was like, I want you to be the lead in, uh, in the mouth of madness. So we at least get that because Sam Neill in this film is awesome. Right. I don't quite understand his motivations all the time, but he's such a good bad guy that I love every moment he's in this film. Well, okay. So it's really tough for me to preface this. Uh, uh, preface is not the right word uh, to qualify this in, in the sense that I don't think I've ever seen Sam Neill in something where I'm like, you know what? I didn't really like Sam Neill in that. Like, he's really good no matter what I'm watching him in. And yeah, that does tend to fall much in line with what I was saying earlier about action or about leading men. But, you know, most of them are either dramas or action movies that I've seen Sam Neill in. Although, to be fair, he he does pop up in the Thor movies. So uh, it's a, a little bit of a, a fun thing for him to get to do. So, um, yeah, he's really good here. Um, that was my very long way of saying he's very good here. But I think that he's... He's good in everything I see him in, so um, maybe that's more of a, a tip of the hat to Sam Neill than it is the material, uh, regardless of what movie he's in. Um, but uh, I, I, I also wanted to mention real, real quick here because uh, I know that uh, I took us off track by like throwing a thousand things out when I started talking about Chase. I meant to mention that uh, you know this is notable in the sense that uh, John Carpenter didn't do the score for it. But what is notable for me is, is that it's Shirley Walker who did the score for this. Yes. I was going to bring that up. Thank you, please. Um, you know, uh, Shirley Walker for me personally, um, and I'm relating this third person from a documentary that I watched, uh, on Batman, the animated series, but Shirley Walker was the person who, when they were doing the animated series for Batman, the animated series at this time, um, Bruce Tim had asked, like, how do we get to do like a Bruce Tim type score? And they're like, well, you should get Shirley Walker because I think she was the one who actually conducted for uh, that first Batman film, even though the music is by Danny Elfman. And they're like, you should get Shirley Walker. Um, so she does all the animated series music. And uh, uh, so that to me is where she's notable. But uh, I think that this is a, a, a well scored film. But I didn't want to go without mentioning that because it's it's interesting both in the facet that Carpenter's not doing anything with the score and that uh, Shirley Walker sort of um, does this at the same time that she's 
going to make a name for herself with Batman, the animated series. Yeah. And the score in this is actually perfectly serviceable. And I, there, there's bits and there's bits and pieces of it that I like a good deal, but I'm glad you brought it up. Cause I was going to, I was going to mention her and then, um, Carpenter like had such a good relationship with her that he would bring her in to do escape from LA. So, um, we'll get there when we get there, but this mm-hmm. shows that there's something to be said there. So, um, so let me, let me do a little like, other, other, let me do some more book reading right here real quick. Because um, we keep talking about how this film is very, it's of two minds, and it's literally Carpenter's mind and Chevy Chase's mind, right? That's like, that's what we're coming down to in this. Um, so Carpenter and Chase continued to disagree on the tone of the film. Chase felt that Carpenter's tastes were too low brow, and that the film suffered accordingly. We didn't have the same tastes, and it didn't come off the way I wanted it to. He said, and then Carpenter, for his part, felt that the problems stemmed from Chase's desire to be seen in a more serious light. He didn't want to do comedy anymore and insisted he was ready for straight roles. That was the problem in the film in a nutshell. So I like, like they're both seeing this from different viewpoints, but like you understand both, like both positions. I'm not saying I agree with uh, Chase's position, but it's like, this was, um, this, it feels like from the jump, this was never going to work. And it seems pretty apparent. You know, what's interesting to me about this is it almost sounds a little bit like the Eddie Murphy, Wes Craven, uh, I don't want to say interaction or, or, uh, I'm not sure how to to say this, but the relationship with uh, vampire in Brooklyn, right? Yeah. Thank you. God, I don't know why I got stuck there, but yes, Craven wanted to make a comedy. Uh, Eddie Murphy wanted to make a horror movie. So, like, they were at this weird place where the two of them, who are both known for the one thing that the other wants to do, have to mesh, you know. But I don't know that – and, again, I'm throwing a lot at Chevy Chase, and I I do feel bad that I'm sort of sandbagging the movie on him. But I I feel like probably a lot of what Carpenter wanted to do that wasn't restricted to visuals or uh, what Chase would allow within the story – was just nixed. Like, I feel like Chevy Chase was the one who dictated this film. Um, and that's, that's a lot for somebody who's never been involved in a film production at all, uh, or, uh, has any real merit with, to make such statement about a film. But this feels very much like Chevy Chase overriding, uh, John Carpenter and John Carpenter being like, well, I'm still going to make this a good looking movie at the very least. Yeah, well, I mean, but Steve, come on, to be fair, you have been in three musicals in high school. They, they were all high school musicals, and and I'm not the high school movies that, you know, musical movies that kids today, all of our millennial listeners or <laughs> that, I mean, of, of all the listeners that we have, we, we, yeah, we're, we're all about the, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the TikTokers and um, whatever. The Zac Efron movies, I don't know. I don't know, yeah. Uh, but no, I... I I, I I guess, uh, you know, I, it's unfair for me probably to throw this all at Chevy Chase's feet for why it doesn't work. But I, I, I'm not seeing anything here to tell me otherwise either. So, okay. So with that being said, so let me do a little bit more here. And we'll like, there's some bits in this film. I do want to get to specific moments that I, I, I think are worthy of talking, but let, let, let's let's do our homework here. Let's get through our book learning. Uh, by the by, the time the film got into post production, Carpenter had pretty much given up establishing any real control over the film. Fair enough. Um, and then here's the here's the opinion of um, the author of the book, uh, Troy Ho- Troy Horwath. Horwath. 
Howarth. Um, uh, ultimately, Memoirs of Invisible Man displays little of Carpenter's signature style. Um, fair enough. And then the Carpenter actually made it a point to be like, this isn't my movie. That's why I didn't put my name above it. He's like, it's not, he's like, he's like, it's not mine. It's not a John Carpenter film. So I think it's, I think it's um, terribly ironic that a film called Memoirs of Invisible Man, the director is the one that gets disappeared to the point to where he's like, I don't want my name even really a part of this. So I think that's worthy of note. And then we'll get into a little bit of the box office fallout from this. But with that being said, um, I do think there are like as much as Carpenter tried to have a lighter tone in this, I think there's bits and pieces of this that where I think there's some funny gags in here. Like um, I like the, the ongoing joke that um, Chase's original set of clothes that he had that were also invisible, that he had to make it a point to try to find them and try to put them on because he couldn't see them either. I thought that was a funny gag. Him trying to use chopsticks and not understand where his fingers were because he couldn't see them was a funny gag. Him eating food, looking in the mirror, and him throwing up was a pretty good gag. Um, like, there's bits and pieces there. They're like, it's just even earlier in the film when he's hung over trying to walk into the building and just smashes against the door. Chase knows how to do, he has, he has a good sense for slapstick. And I know that this is what he didn't want to get into this, but the bits and pieces that if you remove, if you remove, um, if you just look at it from scene to scene, you see Chevy Chase kind of reacting to things. There is some humor here that I actually enjoy a fair amount. Yeah, there are, there are a lot of moments in this movie that actually work. Um, and I mentioned, you know, the bubble gum gag. I mentioned the fact that, you know, we got to actually see some of the the perspective from his character's point of view uh, and seeing well, not even from his point of view, but seeing him interact as somebody who's invisible while other people are reacting around him. I thought that was really interesting. Um, the pair gag. I think that when he's walking through the men's like his his gentleman's club or whatever it was, he went to go grab the pair and then the, right. the security slipped through and they set the pair down. The guy grabbed an eight and he's like, ah, oh. like it's like he was constantly hungry. And I thought that was a funny gag that kept repeating. And there is there is a piece of this film that is <sighs> we talked about tone problems, but you know, one of the issues is is that it's sort of uh crashes into its dramatic beats as opposed to uh, gliding into them or steering into them, if that's a better uh, phrase. But, uh, you know, he goes from a guy who is an underachiever at work and does just enough to get by and drinks at a gentleman's club that is not like a... When I say gentleman's club, I don't mean strip club. I mean like an actual old-fashioned, like only men allowed kind of joint, I think. Uh, it's although where, it's where I tycoons go, right? He's talking about how yeah. like, it's like robber barons and tycoons and the monopoly man or whatever he says. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and they're kind of playing into the fact that he knows that, yeah, it's shitty, but he likes the free boot or the cheap booze there or whatever. Um, they go from that to him suddenly being like, well, what if I'm gone? Like, I don't tech, I don't really exist. And I, I, I'm, not only am I invisible, but uh, it's like I'm I'm gone. Um, and what does this mean for what I have left of a life to 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 live out? And I'll credit the film for this as well. I was totally expecting there to be an antidote at the end of this movie. I thought for sure we were going to end this movie with him being fully 
uh, you know, return to his former self. That's not the case with this movie. Uh, so there are things that it does that I like, but it, it, it goes from him having an existential crisis or it goes from him just being, uh, you know, an everyday, you know, man slash everyday guy, uh, coming soon, uh, 2023. Um, but (laughs) from, to having that existential crisis, and I understand that it's a big thing that kicks that into gear, but it almost feels like if they just started the movie out with him kind of doubting, like Christ, like what, 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 what impact am I? If they had started, actually, let me rephrase this: if they had actually started with him having a midlife crisis, which would have totally been in line with how old Chevy Chase was at this time, it would have worked better than just suddenly like, oh, he's the 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 slacker guy who gets by uh, by his wit and charm. Uh, and but suddenly is invisible. Like it, 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 it doesn't work when you try to make that dramatic shift. And uh, I realized I started this whole thing talking out of the positives, but that's one of the issues that I ran into with it is is that it wants to be a little bit deeper than what it's supposed to be, and it's only surface level. Yeah, it doesn't help that we it gets told in like. Um, this weird, like a uh, hard boiled detective, like a media, like back, like not media res, but it's like, it's all told in flashback. So it's like, you, mm-hmm. there's no, there's no tension. So that, that, that stinks. But I do like, I do want to mention the beach house s- stuff because, um, we get, we get a Michael McKeon as George Talbot, which I know Talbot is a callback to the original invisible man. Right. I think that the, the name Talbot is from that. But then we also have that was it the other guy that's there, uh, Morrissey, uh, played by Pat Skipper, where he's like trying to like get with um, Daryl Hannah's character and his voice the entire time. I'm like, is that a real voice that you're doing? Mm-hmm. Like the like whatever it was he was doing. I'm like, like oh, I guess we'll be over here for the night with some brandy, or whatever he does. It's like it was like this weird like Mr. Burns, but as like a like, like in his thirties. <laughs> And that, it, it sounds like somebody doing a voice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was really funny. And so like also one of the, the gags later is whenever he's trying to get like, sorry, gag, try to sexually assault Daryl Hannah's character. But, uh, you know, Chevy Chase is in the room and he's invisible. He just tosses the guy off of her. And then later on, uh, there's the bit where she disappears and, um, and Talbot's like, well, I don't know where she went. And it's like, I'm worried about a young woman just like, you know, jogging by herself and Morris. He's like, she kicks like a mule. <laughs> It's like, that's a funny gag. Like, I, I don't know. I thought that was actually a funny, a funny joke. So it's one of these things that's like, man, you're right. This film could have been something, but it couldn't make up its mind where it was because the two powers that be couldn't decide on the tone of the film, which is, I know what we keep saying. So it's like, again, like, I'm not like the, the, the I guess the point of this to me is that, you have a film called memoirs of invisible man, meaning this is supposed to be a character that can't be seen as struggling with identity and struggling with being visible. And we literally get a film that can't figure out who, it, what it is and it's struggled to be seen and it's easily forgotten. Right. I think that's it's just, mm-hmm. it's frustrating because like it's perfectly okay, but it, it's, it's neither bad nor particularly good. And that's why it's very forgettable. Yeah, and what what seemed odd 
to me too is is there's a moment in this film where Chevy Chase's character talks about his um dreams or yes. his because they're not even dreams so much as like uh what's the word I would look for his fantasy like his daydream fantasy, like what could have been and this 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 is the dumb and dumber dream sequence before it actually happened you know what well, I mean like the, yeah yes it's the most boring dream se- like you're in a <laughs> fantasy movie yeah like what? He's winning like a tennis championship or something. Like it's the most boring idea. Did you notice like, all the, all the amazingly white white people in the crowd cheering him on? Yeah. And then, and then when he got to the club and everyone's cheering him on. But then, like when I mentioned Dumb and Dumber, it's whenever he goes to Daryl Hannah and she's wearing like this lingerie and he opens up his uh, robe and it's like this big blank spot where his penis is supposed to be. My favorite part of that sequence is that Sam Neill pops up behind Daryl Hannah. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, <laughs> Like, like it, that made me think of Dumb and Dumber whenever he's having, the, like, Jim Carrey's dreaming of Lauren Holly, right? And then she opens her robe and he sees headlights because he's asleep at the wheel. And yeah. He, like, I, bring me more of that absurdist humor and this film would have, like, would have, would have, would have, it would have been, would have, would have went a lot further for me. I'll just put it that way. I keep stumbling on my words. No, no. And, you know, what's interesting to me is, is that, uh, yeah, and I, I'm not saying you need to go this way, but like I, I can't help but think of like if you're gonna do that crazy dream sequence thing, like a year or two later, maybe it's three years, I don't know. Uh, whenever Billy Madison comes out, like <laughs> Billy Madison, you know, uh, is in some ways very surreal, but also like his his dreams are way crazier. Yes. Um, you know, and like if you're gonna go with the Daryl Hannah and sexy like like her like holding like two gigantic figs of beer. Oh, and, you're talking like, about Happy Gilmore. Oh, I'm yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, whenever I'm, like he has really a dream sequence. Too, yeah, 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 no, I, but it's like it's her in the, like the laundry holding at the two big uh, like mugs of beer, and there's a little person on like like using like the little like <laughs> pony on a stick, and then yeah. you have um oh was it Robert Goulet playing yeah. uh. <laughs> Like the piano. Like if you're gonna go with like a fantasy or whatever, like go that route. Like, like if you could, if you could, if you could somehow insert Carl Weathers into this film, the dream sequence, that would be amazing. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Yeah, it was just like the most boring fantasy dream sequence that that I've ever seen in a movie. Where like Uh, this is your dream. Chevy Chase had better dream sequences in Christmas Vacation than this film. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That's a very good comparison. Um. So, yeah, that bothered me. But the other thing I wanted to mention is, uh, and you mentioned him briefly, uh, Michael McKean, who I think, yeah, I'm saying this as somebody who's like, I think he's unsung, and I'm sure there are plenty of people singing the praises of Michael McKean. But, like, growing up, to me, uh, he was always, you know, Lenny from Laverne and Shirley. Like, when I was a kid, like, that's, you know, that's who he was. And it's weird looking at it now. Cause I just pulled up when Laverne and Shirley was, it was from 76 to 83. But for, you know, a kid who's born in 1974, like that's the first thing that you go to. But mm-hmm. like, uh, he is in so many movies and he's, whether he's like a main character or a side player or even just a supporting, like one scene player, he's always good. Like I think of him, in stuff like, you know, the Brady Bunch movie, which, you know, I, granted, I, lo- I love both of those movies. Like I just, I can't, I have, I can't uh, be objection. I can't be subjective about those. 
Yeah. <laughs> to stuff like, you know, Spinal Tap, obviously, which is funny. I go to the Brady Bunch movie first, and then I'm like, oh, and Spinal this Tap. This is Spinal but Tap, like, but also he's done a lot of, um, oh, I forget the name of the director, but he did like Best in Show. He's done a Mighty Wind, like they're, like the, the yeah. director of that. And then he was, he was also uh, in Better Call Saul. He was um, uh, um, Bob Odenkirk's older brother in that series, and he's really, really good in it. Like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, uh, what I will also think of him as is uh, uh, he's the pharaoh, uh, uh, or the, he's like the like head guy in uh, the Clerks cartoon episode. That's where right. Randall is. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I realize that you know he's got way bigger credits. You know, he was in Clue for God's sake. Clue's a great movie. Um, but yeah, I just, I wanted to make mention of him because he's, he's putting in a good performance here too. And, uh, I said well, earlier, there, that I there's the bit with him. Bad. There's the, there's the small bit with him and Patricia Heaton on the beach. That yeah. is like, it's so horrible, but funny at the same time. And it, it just move on with what happened with them being intimate on the beach. I'm like, Oh, did we, did we get that joke here? We got that joke. Yeah, he's like, he's. I left the lines like, give me ten minutes. Look at the moon or whatever. (laughs) 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 Oh, can I also admit now that I've never seen Clue? Could I just say that right now? I've never. Oh man, so I'm not. There are people where where I'm like, wow, you really like Clue. Uh, Where I'm like, I think it's just a really good movie. I don't know that I like. Some people will like it's the greatest thing ever, and I'm like, I it's okay, sure, but um. So yeah, I don't want to overhype it. I guess is where I wanted to go with that. But if you ever want to talk Clue in a future episode, so should we do know. a month of board game movies? Can we do Clue? Can we do Battleship? Um, oh Jesus, that um, might break me. I'm just trying to think what other what other games are that movies are based upon board games. I don't know. There has to be there has to be one called Uno, right? I'm, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> um, it turns out it's a Mexican western. Your specialty. <laughs> We'll do uh, shoots and ladders or, or life. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, I guess we could do Jumanji. Oh, and Zathora, right? We could do those or yeah. like, yeah, I know we could do a board game month. That'd be like stupid, but whatever we could do. Um, what was it? Um, beyond the gates, um, which is not a great movie, but we could talk about it. Um, so this, yeah. this, uh, yes. well, okay. Well, that, that actually is the film that, uh, um, and I'm blanking on her name, so I can't believe I just brought it up. Um, Barbara Crampton from beyond Barbara Crampton. I think that was the movie that kind of like when she returned to acting, that was the movie that did it. So, um, I remember watching that movie and just being like, Oh, Hey, Barbara Crampton and really liking that movie. So maybe we should revisit it. Or sure. should talk I, about I have, that I have some, some fighting opinions about it, but anyways, neither here or right. there. Um, no, uh, I just like, um, yeah, the, the, there's, there's this, I like, I paid $4 to watch this. Um, and I wasn't expecting a lot, but the practical and special effects in this, I, there's a lot of the the practical effects of the, of the building is amazing. And some of the other stuff in this too, actually does really, really well. Um, there's other things that don't. Um, and also I, I still have conflicted feelings about, uh, Chevy chase uh, in a cab and uh, brown face at the end being heroic. That is, um, that's not aged well at all, has it? I don't think so. Nope. Yeah, no. I mean. <laughs> um, also, I like to think that Chevy Chase is like, hey, I'm trying to make a serious movie. Okay, what about you running around a park um, in the middle of the movie, like 
like taking all your clothes off to become like invisible. And like you're, and you see, you see this pants coming off. Like that whole thing, that whole thing's like, it's, it's, it's a three stooges routine. Oh, I'm a serious actor. Like, I don't know. It's just, what movie did you think you were making? You know what I mean? Like that's, I don't know. I think there is real pathos in finding out that you, you are invisible and you can't be seen. And like, there's a whole thing there. I, the, the bit wherever he and Darren Hanna's character are waiting at the train station and it starts raining is actually a pretty, it's a, it's an effective moment, right? Cause like, he's like, you're looking in my eyes. That's that Starman energy for like a split second in this mm-hmm. film. It doesn't last, but I thought that yeah. was okay. Had Daryl Hannah been given what Karen Allen was given in Starman, we might be looking at it. Or if Daryl Hannah I actually think. like had a pulse, like like I I want to like her in this movie, but like my God, like she was just uh, like I love her in the Kill Bill Volume One film. Don't get me wrong, but it's like I just. Mm. It's just, she just, there is, there's not much going on character wise as well, but she, it just feels like she didn't even try like whatever. It's a paycheck, right? It's a living. (laughs) All right. Well, you know, I, yeah, I don't think, you know, to, to, to sum this up, I don't think it's a bad movie. I don't, that's the thing, you know, I, I guess in my brain, I had built this up to be like a just complete terrible piece of garbage that I was never going to want to revisit. And I'm not saying that I'm going to want to rewatch this anytime soon. Well, no, you and I are going to watch it yearly and we're going to enjoy it. <laughs> and we're going to eat the, we're going to eat just clear foods. We'll watch it. It's fine. But uh, it, it's, yeah. it's more of a missed opportunity movie than anything, both for, I think chase and carpenter because of unfortunately chase. Um, and looking at, you know, his, his filmography, you guys may not remember this, but in, 1993, uh, David Letterman uh, was basically screwed over by Jay Leno. Well, I shouldn't say by Jay Leno, but he was screwed over for the position of taking over Johnny Carson. Uh, And basically what that means is is that David Letterman has to go and create his own show, which is The Late Show with David Letterman. At that time, there was sort of a scramble of like who's going to control late night after Carson is gone. Uh, so you have Jay Leno taking over for Carson. You have David Letterman doing his own thing. Uh, networks are trying other things like the Arsenio Hall show, which runs for, I think three or four years at the very least. But, um, Chevy chase, uh, was not that far after this movie comes out, given his own talk show, which sadly only lasted six weeks on the Fox network in, uh, I believe it was 1993. Uh, maybe it's 94, but um, his his he has a talk show like a year after this movie comes out. Maybe it's two years. I don't know off the top of my head. But, you know, for a guy who was trying to become a leading man, that's a huge change. And that show crashed hard. And the only reason I'm bringing it up is is because. When I, I say that my fond memories are what I remember Chase like last being important is 1989's Lampoon Vacation. I'm looking through his filmography. I'm not seeing anything to you other than community. Uh, and I will say that, you know, it's a small performance, but he he does uh, give a uh, a good performance in the last movie star, which is primarily a, a Burt Reynolds movie that was made before he passed. Um, 
Chevy Chase hasn't shown us anything other than Chevy Chase in that well, time. I would I would say he had a bit role in Dirty Work, which I love that movie. He's really funny in that. But so let me let me reset this for a second. <clears throat> I'll give you another. I, I'm going to give you another opportunity to redeem yourself here, Steve. Um, what I just shit all over your cereal is what you're telling me. Yep. No, I'm going to eat it up. All right. So, um, so what do you think um, the uh, box office take on this film was versus the budget? Where do you, how much do you think it made? What the budget was forty million. Yes. Okay, so it's not a hit at the time, and I don't even know if it's a movie that's talked about as breaking even. Although the, we we are right on the cusp. I shouldn't even say the cusp. Probably the very beginning of the VHS boom. So it probably made money there. But if we're talking strictly box office, I'm going to say it made $10 million. A little better than a 14.5. So, uh, it was a, a box office bomb. Uh, the Warner brothers did a lot to try to promote this film that even though they had no faith in the director, cause you know how much core. Um, so, it, so that kind of, it kind of started, this was the first, the, the aside from nothing but trouble, which, that was a- Aykroyd's passion project. Where he's like, I need to play a judge with a penis nose or whatever. Anyway, so hey, hey, um, can I can I interrupt here? Yes. If we're talking about movies that we've never seen and we want to, that's like, I've never seen that movie. So <sighs> it's it's something. All right. So um, I I thought it was funny at the time. I'm sure it's not aged well, but uh, you know. Anyway, so um, yeah, it came in at number seventy nine at the box office for that year. Uh, it didn't. You know, it was a, the failure didn't do anybody any favors. After this, um, he, it was a, uh, what else he was going to do? Um, it would be Cops and Robertsons in 94, Man of the House in 95, and then a personal favorite for Steve and myself, Vegas Vacation in 87. So, um, yeah, he didn't, it didn't, he, this was the first, like, this was the start of the majority downfall for Chevy Chase being a box office draw, Vegas Vacation aside. I'm kidding, that's not really true. So, um, also about Carpenter. He actually passed on the Golden Child when it was pitched to him at the time, because he's like, oh, it's kind of like you got you got Eddie Murphy and it's kind of weird. That I'm not gonna do that." And that film made like gangbusters, so you can see why he like this would be like the safe bet to do, right? Like, oh, you have another SNL alum that's like that has made money and wants to kind of do something that's like a cross genre thing, sure. And so it didn't actually it didn't work out so well. And um, this was the film. After the experience of everything to do with Chevy Chase and it being just kind of like another major studio investment and bomb, Carpenter actually considered walking away from making films altogether. This is the thing that almost killed his desire to make movies. Think about that for a second. Well, it's funny that you brought up Eddie Murphy because I think that that's a, a good comparison that uh, of somebody who I didn't think of at that time. You know, Eddie Murphy is sort of in the same boat that Chevy Chase is, so he's trying to change things up. However, Eddie Murphy also, in my opinion, is far more successful than Chase is at this point. It still is. But, um, you know, that's not a bad analogy to, to look at because I feel like, look, if, if I'm choosing between the two, Eddie Murphy is more of my leading man than, well, say, even, Chevy Chase. Even like, um, you know, um, you know, um, Bill Murphy, right? Like, you know. Bill Murphy, uh, Bill Murray, Bill Murray, Bill, Bill, yeah. Bill Murray. Yeah. Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I think that, 
you know, I, I kind of wonder like what, what, what kind of weird movie would the golden shed have been had it been Carpenter. And I kind of wonder what that collaboration would have been like with him and Eddie Murphy. And would it have been the same sort of like butting the heads? Cause I, I don't get the feeling that Eddie Murphy is, I, I want to say an asshole like Chevy Chase, but like, I, I haven't heard as many like things come out about uh, him. I, I don't know. I Well, not as much as him being like a bad person, but like he had a lot of uh, carte blanche creatively. So there was a lot more bet on him repeatedly that didn't pan out. Let's just put it that way. So I guess, I guess for me, uh, what I was trying to say, because I didn't want to bring up something else as we're trying to end this, but you know, in, in reading into this, you know, one of the things that I read was that Chase was very much a like, um, you're easily replaceable. And if you don't agree with me, we can fire you kind of guy at this time. I don't get that vibe from Eddie Murphy at that time or any time. And I could be completely wrong on that. But I, I, I just wonder. I, I feel like Eddie Murphy may have actually been way more collaborative than, say, like Chevy Chase was, unfortunately. Well, fair enough. So, all right. Um, yeah. So, um, revisiting this as a grown up, cause I've not seen this in forever. I think it was a, you know, like there, there is some, a, this feels like the most Spielberg carpenter film in the sense of like, there's some spectacle here in terms of like the visual delights going on. And there's a lot of fun being shown with like the different ways to show the invisibility that I feel like it's like Spielberg adjacent. And I'm not saying it was Carpenter chasing Spielberg, not at all, but it's trying to capture that kind of, that, that sense of like wonder and like awe at times. And, and I think that's more because Carpenter was trying to do like a lighthearted, like, yeah, we're all having fun. And then Chevy Chase is like, shut up. I'm a serious lead actor. Like, ugh. It's 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 a conflicted movie. It's of two minds, and it doesn't because it's being pulled in multiple directions. It doesn't pick one, which is what you've been saying the entire night. Um, I did enjoy this movie. I'm not going to say I love it, but I'm glad that we watched it because this is t- is another story of Carpenter going in with enthusiasm and then everything working against him, and he, and, and regardless of his mentally checking out, he's still good enough and still proficient enough to make a watchable and serviceable film. Yeah. And you know, that that's really what he was brought in to do. Um, this was not like, Oh, something that was born out of, uh, Carpenter's love for either the book, the character, whatever, you know, it is funny to me that this is, you know, had you asked me previously, like, uh, to me watching the movie and digging into it, if it was a Warner Brothers movie, I would have been like, well, no, it's it's an Invisible Man movie. Of course, it's universal. Um, that clearly is not the case because uh, it's a Warner Brothers film. But I was thinking that it was trying it. it, it there are subtle homages uh, to the original original man by James Whale. Uh, I shouldn't even say subtle. There are homages uh, to that film within this one. Um, it is surprising to me. And again, looking at it now through the lens of 
being in a, the midst of a 30 movie plus world of, of Marvel films where everything is connected, you know, um, if you would asked me like, oh, you know, was this the attempt to re-kick the Universal Monsters in the 1990s? Uh, I would have been like, oh, yeah, that's this clearly would be a part of it. But that's not even what the impetus is behind this. Um, so it's it's sort of an odd oddball there as well it's it's a it's a movie that's sort of not uh not really connected to the original other than in name only uh but also one that uh i don't know like if you told me that this was trying to be the classic uh reboot or whatever and i guess those are more uh, modern terms, you know, I would have said, oh, yeah, I would have absolutely agreed that. That's not the case with this. So if, if you have any of that perception going into it, guys, that's that doesn't apply at all. It's just unfortunate that it's just not a very good movie, and I don't think it's... It's certainly not at the, the fault of John Carpenter. We'll put it that way. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's fair. So... Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just one more step along the journey, and 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 we watched it, and I'm glad that you you again. That was our whole goal for us doing this is that to kind of fill in the gaps of our one of our favorite directors that has been one of the most influential personalities in our love of film, right? Um, and this is just one more um, stone to turn over. So, it is what it is. Um, like everybody is like, if you if you're interested. It's four bucks. Like it, it just, you could spend four dollars worse. You know, like I, I've, you know, you, could, I don't know, like Pop Rocks. I don't know how much Pop Rocks cost anymore. I don't, I, I don't understand money anymore. So, um, yeah, I think it's worth watching once. Make up your own decisions. I think there's bits in here that I really, really appreciate. But yeah, it is what it is. So, all right, that's going to do it for our discussion about uh, Memoirs of Invisible Man. You guys can find us on Facebook at Invasion of the Podcast. Um, you guys could uh, find us. We have a, we have a website, invasionofthepodcast.com. There's a bunch of blogs there that are dusty. Um, go check them out. <laughs> I'm, I, Steve, I keep meaning to write more, but I'm just like, oh, that's work. It's really hard to sit down and write things. Um, let you, I know you're a writer but you should appreciate that. I'm like, I should write a thing. Should I, or should I go eat a sandwich and take a nap? It's really, really hard to do that. <laughs> However, <laughs> there's a bunch of other posts there from year of the Western year, year of the, the, the knockoff year of the sequel, a uh, year of Canon. Go check that out. Um, there's other things there. Uh, Steve wrote uh, a bit about all his, uh, his uh, star Wars toys, there um yeah go check that out there uh wherever you find your podcast rate and reviews be greatly appreciated and steve where can people find you you can find me at the saturday night slasher.com you can find me on instagram and facebook under the saturday night slasher uh you can also find me at GalaxyCon columbus this very weekend i believe this is probably going to be released uh in the future december 1st 2022 uh, so if you're listening to this any date after that, so any date after two days of us recording this, it's <laughs> well, technically like you said, the past. December 1st, like what, what, how many days are in November? What were we at here? Um, we're this, today's the 30th and so tomorrow's the first. Yeah. So I, I guess you're forcing my hand. It will be released <laughs> on the first. Uh, yeah. I, I think I meant to say the second. <laughs> well, too uh, late. It's already going to happen. It's coming out tomorrow, Steve. Time, time yeah. is a vacuum. Um, 
But uh, no, uh, I'm going to be at GalaxyCon Columbus. Uh, it's going to be a great show. I wanted to make mention of, of well, two things. One, uh, in a previous episode, I had mentioned that uh, Peter David was going to be there. Uh, unfortunately, he is canceled. And uh, uh, I think if you are... Well, okay, so if you're listening to the show, you probably have some sort of awareness of comic books uh, and have probably even read one. And I feel like if you're a regular reader of comics, you've probably come across the name Peter David before. Um, and when I saw that he canceled uh, for the GalaxyCon show that I'm going to be at in two days in Columbus, December 2nd through 4th, uh, that I, I was disappointed because I was like, oh, that's that sucks. That's a big name. Who's not going to be there. And I wasn't thinking of it in terms of like what may be going on with that person. I was just like, Oh, uh, it sucks that he's not going to be at the show. Uh, in light of that, uh, Peter David, unfortunately is in, uh, poor health, uh, and has recently had, uh, some kidney issues and a series of strokes, uh, and a mild heart attack. Jesus. Um, and, Due to that, uh, there has been a uh, one. Okay, so yes, he had to cancel Galaxy Con Columbus. That's not really the big thing. But I wanted to make mention here, there's a GoFundMe for writer Peter David. And if you're somebody who's read comics in the last 40 years, you've probably read one of his comics. Um, it's uh, already past its goal, but I still hope people go and donate to it. Um, it's to help him get over his medical bills. Uh, that he's still in the hospital. He's, it's not like these medical bills are like, oh, we're at the tail end of them. So, uh, hopefully we'll see more, uh, donations to him. Uh, but, uh, you know, I wanted to make mention of this because I think Peter David is somebody who, again, is somebody who shouldn't have to have a GoFundMe set up for his medical bills since he, 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 if you said the words to anybody, the Incredible Hulk, uh, who read comics for, I don't know, like the last 30 years, one of the things that people would probably go would, would say in regards to that would be is, is, oh, I read the Peter David ones because Peter David is the guy that I think people most associate with. But he, he's written for Star Trek. He's written, um, Justice League and uh, Total Justice is a, another series that he wrote. He's writ, uh, wrote a ton of comics, and uh, we're in a place right now where a lot of people who uh, built the backbones for these big budget Marvel, DC, whoever productions are the ones who uh, have to have donations set up to help them with their health care. Uh, and I, I know that I did not do that gracefully at all because I'm having trouble separating out. Uh, my feelings about how companies treat their uh, artists and writers uh, versus Peter David's current situation. But uh, I wanted to make mention of that because I was bummed to see that he wasn't going to be there. And then I found out it's a, it's much worse than like he just canceled the show because he had, you know, a scheduled conflict or something like that. It's more uh, that he is in poor health and in need help financially to help with his medical bills. So, um, that's my long, long way of saying, uh, go check out his GoFundMe. Uh, it is over the goal, but I, medical bills, uh, don't just stop. So, uh, anything that you can contribute if, if you, 
uh, have ever read one of his comics uh, or just want to donate to a good charity this year. Um, I think you could do worse than, than throwing a couple bucks the way of uh, the Peter David fund. And I, I know you were going to mention this as well, Paul, and I stumbled all across it. My apologies. No, you, you summed it up well. Uh, very, very well. So yeah, go support him. He's one of my favorite comics writers. Um, his uh, Incredible Hulk run is amazing. His uh, um, was it X Factor runs a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I was I was hoping to meet him at some point. I know that you said he, he canceled his appearance at GalaxyCon, but you know there's good like good reason for that because like he needs help, and so people need yeah. to go support him. And I and I will do so as well. And people should go do that. So yeah. So let me uh, let me just uh, round out here real quick. You know, I've gone through the list a couple of times of like some of the big names that are going to be there, both within the comic book industry and the uh, film slash TV industry. But uh, and I guess this falls under both those categories. But I don't think I've mentioned that there are wrestling folks here. So I'm going to take your temperature here, and you tell me if uh, these are people that I should be talking to. You're like that person is going to be there. Steve, I can't believe that you are not going to go and talk to X, Y, Z, because there are wrestling guests here. And I I know that uh, um, I am not the most current. So I feel like uh, the names that I recognize of people that are going to be here, uh, Lex Luger is one. Um, I don't know if he's a normal convention person or not, but I don't think I've ever seen him. And any other shows that I've looked at. Uh, Scott Steiner is a name that I recognize, but I don't know why. He's one of the Steiner brothers. You know them. Well, yeah, I, I see that Rick Steiner is also going to be there. But, but I think Scott Steiner is Big Papa Pump, right? Uh, yeah, he, he is insane. So um, be careful. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So let me ask you, um, and I, I, don't want, I, I don't mean to make it sound like if you're like, oh, I... I don't want you to be like, oh, no, they're nobody. But I just mean like I, these are people that I haven't heard of. So it, my apologies if there's anybody in here that I mentioned and you're like, I can't believe you don't know who that is. But uh, there's Britt Baker, Ruby Soho, John Bradshaw Layfield, the librarian. <laughs> no, 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 Bates. no. The first two, Britt Baker, uh, I, she was an AIW like forever and now she's in like AEW. Uh, she's great. Ruby Soho was uh, in WWE. They're, they're like she's really good too. Uh, you you said John Bradshaw, yeah, um, Bradshaw from. Um, you remember um, him and um, oh shit, uh, they were um, oh god damn it. Uh, they you know Bradshaw, you know John Bradshaw from the Attitude Era, um, uh, the APA. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about the APA? No, I'm sorry, I don't. I again, oh, like I, I might said, be wrong. Like my my you said, knowledge you said is varying. John, did you say John Bradshaw? Um, yeah, yeah. It, it says John Bradshaw Layfield. John Bradshaw Layfield. It was him and uh, Farouk, Ron Simmons. Damn. Okay, well, uh, okay. if you want to re- meet Ron Simmons, he's also going to be here. Oh, so. God damn it, Steve. I'm sorry, you don't know who the APA is, but you loved. You love the Attitude Era, but continue, please. Where we yeah, so he's there as well. Um, the librarian, Leva Bates. I, I don't, don't know who that who is. That is. Um, Kira Hogan. Yeah. Speedball, Mike Bailey. The, yes, okay. Uh, Vita Scott. 
Uh, Diamante? Diamante? <laughs> okay. Uh, Kylan King, uh, Caleb Conley, Savannah Evans, and Eric Cannon. So, well, I'd say half of them are, I mean, Bradshaw and Farouk. Come on, Ron Simmons. You know Ron Simmons. Look look up the APA, the Acolyte Protect- Protection Agency. You like you love that that that's that that's the era of wrestling that you you dig. Okay. Like oh my gosh. Well, I feel yeah. bad. Like now I'm like oh my god. I'm 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 a poser even when I'm like I I, I no look them up. You'll know yeah. who they are. You'll know who they are. Um yeah. Uh, John Bradshaw has uh one of the the one of the stiffest uh um clotheslines or lariats that's ever been known to man. So anyway, yes. All right. So what what it also sounds like is is that I should be heavily promoting like the wrestling people who are also going to be there if I'm trying to get people to go to this show and buy my comic because this is a pretty heavy show as far as like its celebrity guests but it sounds like it's also that way with its wrestling guests would it be fair to say that yeah it seems like it's it's going to be well attended so yeah um, but everybody needs to go check out Steve and Ryan at their table go buy their comics. Uh, and then, you know, um, like shower them with praise and then also be like, Hey Steve, where is everyday man? Where, where is, uh, where, where's everyday man? Like I need to see him. It's, it's coming at the end of the Saturday Night Slasher. So, <laughs> all right. So yeah, go check him out at GalaxyCon. I, I guess this episode's coming on Thursday because Steve hedged the bet. I'm kidding. I'll make sure it's up. Look at, look at everybody. It's, it's a holiday miracle. It's coming out a day early. Um, but yeah, uh, so next week, um, we're getting into another, uh, film, um, that the kids love, uh, from this time frame. It, it's one that's recently showed up on streaming for, um, rental purposes. That's not been really available digitally. It's one of my great shames that Steve and other people that I've known have thrown against me as a, how dare you not see this? It is better off dead. We're getting into it. Um, I, um, I am finally watching this movie for the first time, so I cannot wait for next week to tell Steve how disappointed I am in this film and how dare he make me watch it. Yeah, I'm I'm a little worried because <laughs> I love I, One I, Crazy Summer. I'm sure I'll enjoy this a great deal. I've just not seen it though. Yeah, I mean, gun to my head, if I have to pick between the two, I I'm probably edging towards One Crazy Summer, but I feel like it's it's very much in line and uh, in tune with that movie. So I, I don't know what I'll do if you hate it, I guess is what I'm saying. Well, uh, I so guess we'll find out. Tune in, guys. <laughs> tune in next week, guys, to find out if I lose my brain. <laughs> All right. So that's going to do us uh, for this week. Everybody have a good week. Have a safe week. Go see Steve in Columbus. And in the meantime, if you get hungover, don't fall asleep in a science building. I think that's fair. I don't know. What do you, what do you guys see? I, I got nothing. I was I was like, where do I go from there? All right. The, fair enough. Hashtag invisible dong. I see you standing in the alleys and the hallways. Wait a second. You're gone now. I run to touch you, but you vanish through the doorway.
Nothing like it used to be But I see you coming 